Hello and welcome to Lawbeards, and may I give out a quick apology for the sudden and unexpected lateness that we had. I had a mic issue and I couldn't hear a single thing and it all went very wrong right at the point when we we're about to go live. Okay, <laughs> I have a slight echo at my side. I don't hear anything on my headphones. Let me just get rid of it. It's okay, I'm, it should be gone. Let me just bring back up. Right, so um, I think I'm fine now. Hey, all. <clears throat> Are all right. we live? Are we yeah, going? I think so. I think we should get moving. Um, all right, so uh, this week it is Dragon Ogres. Yeah, <laughs> shockingly, shockingly, Dragon Ogres. <laughs> Joking, <laughs> yeah. It's an electrifying subject. <laughs> Indeed, the lower beard symbol that's sitting above our heads up there is particularly appropriate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, okay, so um, I'm going to start with this one because uh, I have a little bit of a tale to tell. And it's always nice to sit down with Andy and tell a tale. Mm -hmm. I would like to take you all the way back to 1980. I'm going to guess eight. So this is probably <laughs> well before many of you were born as I sit here with my graying beard going, oh, God damn it, I'm old. But back in <laughs> 1988, um, a white dwarf arrived. Um, I'm going to guess the number on this one. I'm going to say it's probably 96. For those of you out there who are white dwarf aficionados, it's the one with the casket of souls on the cover. And if you don't know the old casket of souls book that was uh, put together, you should go check it out. It's pretty fucking awesome. Um, not a Warhammer book. It's just a Games Workshop related book. Um, Ian Livingston et al. Anyway. <clears throat> casket of souls. And in the back of this particular white dwarf, in the heavy metal section, was the first ever dragon ogre. It was metal. It was painted in browns and reds, leathery skin. And they has, at that point, as yet to nail down exactly what dragon ogres were going to be. But they did have stats. And back then, stats were very different to the stats that Warhammer of Fantasy Battle would come to use in fourth all the way up to eighth edition the same basic stat line but heroes were handled very differently in that they had dragon ogre then level five level 10 level 15 level 20 and level 25 and it provided some basic stats for them just so you could use the model if you wanted and added a small note that they would add full rules for these later in the realms of chaos books now i looked at that model and i freaking loved it because I'm a child. Uh, the second I see anything that's kind of cool, I'm like, woohoo! Um, and what we got was uh, a mixture of, as one would guess, a portmanteau of two words slapped together, dragon plus ogre, a dragon top half, an ogre bottom, ha bottom half, with a big, huge weapon, flat Do you mean armor, that, you mean that the other way around? Or were they Did very different? Dragon bottom half, dra there ogre top half. <laughs> there, there we go. go. Yeah, ignore me. Uh, I'm clearly. <laughs> I like, not I like the visual. <laughs> it was the other visual. <laughs> Just a joke. No, dragon bottom half, ogre top half, <laughs> and it was common in these times to basically take two creatures and slap it together. Particularly with Games Workshop that had been so strongly influenced by things like D and D before it. So, just think of Owl Bear. We've probably all seen an Owl Bear recently if we've watched the recent D and D movie. <laughs> um, and Dragon Ogre was a similar idea. At that point, there was also Dragon Turtles, because who doesn't want to have a Dragon Turtle? Um, mm. And they were pretty goddamn nasty. Now, I remember back then looking at this going, fuck yeah, I want one of these. And I'll admit, it wasn't because the model was so cool, which it was. It was because it was so fucking hard. 
<laughs> I just looked at his stats and went, oh, yeah, I want one of those in my army. So let's uh, now move past it. It was White Dwarf 96. Thanks very much for confirming that. I have a memory. On page so, 69. Nice. Um, <laughs> right, I think you mean page 69, dude. Um, I, can't, I can't accept any reference of 69 without a Bill and Ted reference. It does go my age. So, with that being the case, I was very much looking forward to the school rules coming out for them. And when they did, it's fair to say that they rocked. But they didn't just rock because they were awesome. They rocked because as time then passed from that point, they pretty much never changed. So, if we go all the way back to the original Realm of Chaos books, and we go to the Lost and the Damned book, and you go check up the Dragon Ogres in there, you're going to find exactly the same lore in that first book that we find pretty much uplifted, copy-pasted into Beasts of Chaos for 6th edition. Uplifted, copy-pasted, bits and pieces rearranged slightly for the 8th edition with the Warriors of Chaos. And it's fair to say that Dragon Ogres, somewhat appropriately, have never really changed. They are one of those rare points of Games Workshop lore where the basic building blitz that they started with were kept. And as Warhammer changed around it and the elves became something completely different, the Empire developed into something completely different. All of the major realms of the old world and then beyond developed into a very different version and particularly take a look at, say, the Slan and what they came from, where they originally came from. The Dragon Ogres would be this hoary old remnant, this almost unchanging thing that gazed out upon us all going, nope, nope, the rest of the world may change, but we are not. So um, I'm going to do a quick, pressy, a quick cover of what that very first version was, and then we can chat away about how they slowly but surely evolved over time. It's not so much that they changed, it's more that they often just had less lore added. So for example, the 6th edition mm -hmm. have added some details, and then when we hit the 8th, some of those details are just gone. And it's not so much that they're no longer relevant and won't be brought back by Games Workshop. As we know, Games Workshop, particularly of late, have been often looking back at their original text and going, hey, could we include this back in some way? That'd be pretty cool. So I think you'll probably find that if, as we drill back into the original version, some of those may come back again as we eventually see the Dragon Ogres being repositioned and recreated, one presumes, for Warhammer the Old World, which inevitably they will be because... They, they fucking better be. <laughs> and they're pretty fucking cool. Okay, so let's um go back to the original Dragon Ogres. So we had uh, a few pieces of artwork in the original Realms of Chaos book, and I'm going to call them out in particular because they were fucking iconic. They were done by Adrian Smith, um, one of which was just a Dragon Ogre full page looking fucking epic. It's the one that um we dropped onto the image to, for the card to do the ads for us, the black and white image. Oh, um, so yeah, yeah, the one with the shagger, um, surrounded by far, far, far smaller troops around them, about to crush them all, looking thoroughly dominant. And that pretty much described the general tone of their attitude as it was pitched. Now, um, as is often the case, uh, for the old realms of chaos, the writing was particularly epic, 
and the rules were designed around what that book was attempting to present, which was a new way of playing Warhammer. So we'll cover both bits. On the writing side, we got our background and our dragon ogres were immediately pitched all the way back in, what, the late 80s, early 90s. So right at the beginning of um, our modern view of what Warhammer is as an effectively immortal species that can only die in war. And the reason for this was because they'd made a pact with the Chaos Gods. And they'd made a pact with the Chaos Gods before or on the Cataclysm. And at this point, it's almost before. So before the Chaos Gods tell themselves rise up, they make a pact. And one particular Dragon Ogre is responsible for that pact. And he will be brought up again and again and again through the various lores. Um, and his name immediately, uh, Thingy the Black. What's his name again? Krakenrock. Krakenrock, thank you very much. Krakenrock yeah. the Black. Can't remember everything in my head, apparently. So Krakenrock <laughs> the Black makes the deal. Um, and he is uh, marked out and named as a Shagoth. Um, the oldest, most hoary dragon ogres that existed before the old ones arrived. And they largely were at war at this point with are probably the rulers of the world, the dragons. And they were kin to the dragons. And this word will come up again and again and again from various sources down through the various editions. Um, indeed, even when we look at um, the books that were written by Gav Thorpe, the novels about the elves, um, and Malekith sees a Shagoth, um, he even mentions they were kin to the dragons and at war with them. And it was a war they were losing. Mm. And because they were losing, they made a pact with the Dark Gods. And that pact was something along the lines of, yup, we'll fight for you as long as you stop us losing this particular war. You could argue that one of the reasons that the Chaos Gods rose when they rose was because of this pact. That they decided that they would attack because of this pact. That is an argument only, though. That is not stated in any text. What is clear, though, is that the Dragon Ogres made this deal and they were in a position of bargaining. They didn't just make a deal for their souls. The classic, oh, I'm going to get something for it. They made a bargain. And the bargain was, we will end the world for you. Mm -hmm. We will bring it to an end. And when we do, our souls come back. And most of their souls went off, but not all of it. And you'll find that when we go through the different editions, there's reference to the Dragon Ogres not being entirely damned in a couple of locations. But that gets largely removed when we eventually hit the end times. Um, in that they no longer mention it. It doesn't mean it's no longer the case, but it definitely is no longer mentioned. Yeah, I, I think there will so, be some interesting things to dive into with that. Yeah, I bit. think there will be, because there's quite a lot of fun, exciting, and interesting different variations of how they were pitched. Um, so the Dragon Ogres themselves at this point have sold their souls. They will fight for chaos, and they do. The biggest one goes to sleep. Indeed, they often go to sleep, as I'm about to cover, and decides he will not wake up until the end times, the actual end times, not the repeated cycles of potential attacks, but when the end of the world is coming. So good old Cracknerock, Crack, Crackanerock, Crackanerock? I can never remember his name. Crack and Rock. Crack and Rock. Just the three Why syllables. do I forget that one but remember all the rest of them? I don't, Holy I, crap! It's okay. Listen, we're only Knock human. There's only so much space. Easy. <laughs> Crack and crack and crack, crack, crack. Yeah, good old crack knuckle boy. Crack knuckle boy, the black. <laughs> <laughs> um, he goes to sleep, and it is said that he went to sleep in the modern time, as in 
I'd say we're in 25-12 to 25-25 in that era of the end times. Um, it was 10,000 years back. So the deal that was took place what took place 3,000 years, arguably, before the actual cataclysm. Maybe mm -hmm. 2,500. It was, if you go by the official wording that's there, long before the cataclysm that the chaos gods made this deal, which means that they were planning for some time, if you go by that lore. And this is lore that lasted all the way up to 6th edition, um, in that he has been asleep for 10,000 years uh, when he made that original deal and will not come back until the end of the world. So the dragon ogres themselves, they're pitched as um, icy, cold creatures. Um, they prefer the cold, they prefer winter. Indeed, there's a lovely little line explaining about summer days and when the summer days grow long and the sun burns mercilessly down from dawn to dusk, the dragon ogres withdraw to their caves under the mountains. Yeah, 10,000 years slumber, still 8th edition. It's still in there. Oh, so last edition they ever published still had it. So still had it. That's brilliant. So there we go. There, there's a beautiful fact in there if you want to pluck it out because um, there's a nice timeline inside the Warriors of Chaos book that tells you exactly when the cataclysm occurs. It's something like 5,600 years ago, I'm going to guess. Not read yeah, that that, that's the circa. Yeah, so that's 5,600 plus the 2,500. So that's about 8,000 years, which means that the deal took place almost 2,000 years before the cataclysm. And that gives you an idea of what the world was like back then. So already the Chaos Gods are stirring 2,000 years before the Cataclysm. Um, deals are in a potential be being made. And the war with the dragons that the Dragon Ogres are having, their kin, is ongoing at this point. But we also know that the Old Ones will arrive and that the Old Ones will also be doing their attempts to purge the planet. And indeed, there's a little bit of lore, uh, let's say, contradictory stories here. We'll cover those in a little bit. Let's get to the actual Dragon Ogres themselves and how they were first described. So they were originally described as, obviously, not what I said earlier, bottom half <laughs> of dragon with their dragon scales, top half of ogre. They had their own names for themselves, and these names were laid out in the old Warhammer fashion in that... Um, the basic one was a dragon ogre. A level five hero was called, as I recall, a Sharkath. And a Sharkath became, in later editions, the core name for the dragon ogres for themselves, in that they called themselves the Sharkath. Um, a level 10 hero was called a Garthor. A level 15 was called a Darkoth. Yes, I'm mm. bringing out my memory here. Yeah, Can't yeah. remember level 20. Um, you no, know, Sharanok. Sharanok is level 20. And the level mm -hmm. 25 was the ancient ones, the Shagoths. Um, and these names will pop up again a couple of times in various sources because as we move on from edition to edition, that stratification of layers vanished. And we just had champions, heroes, and lords. And then even that, to a degree, sort of vanished. The last sets of army lists, there was a distinction between them. But, oh, I'm going to stop. No, no, no. Finish, finish, we'll, we'll get to Jonathan in a moment. Finish your, finish okay, your no, no. I, I would like to be interrupted. I can take it. I can take a question from the <laughs> okay. floor as we go. So, um, we can says, get on. So, a Dragon yeah. Ogre Lightning Rules suck as only three spells and some scheme stuff trigger them. How would you make them both cool and actually worth knowing? So, um, I would add uh, that it wouldn't just be Lightning, but anything to do with the Zier. Um, so, any of the Azir spells. Um, which would immediately open up some of it. I would also add a keyword lightning if I was writing the rules um, on spells so that we could have a host of spells that would necessarily pick it up. Basically, the Dragon Ogre rule 
isn't the problem. The problem is that they didn't write the rest of the game to accommodate the fact that they had a really cool rule for the Dragon Ogres. Yeah, That's where uh, I would sit. What do you think? Yeah, uh, well, and uh, another thing is that something that they explored with Colec that I wish they had used more is that the Dragon Ogres, like, the storms tend to follow them. Like, they are, like, the, the storms are not natural a lot of the time. They are often sent by the Dark Gods to wake them up. Uh, so one of the subjects they introduced with Kolek in 8th edition that I liked a lot is that he literally can throw lightning at people uh, because, like, he the, the storms are drawn to him and he's really big and he's covered in brass. So he, like, grabs lightning bolts and throws them at people. But he can also throw them at other dragon ogres and stuff. Um, so the idea in Age of Sigmar, an idea that they introduced that a lot of people like about the Dragon Ogres in Age of Sigmar is that it's assumed there's a storm on the battlefield and every turn you roll dice and uh, basically there's like a one in six chance that a random lightning bolt is going to hit one of your Dragon Ogre units and power them up. Yeah, that's um, pretty fucking cool. I like that rule. Yeah, so yeah. I would probably run, I would still have where like, okay, yeah, there's a couple of random things that involve lightning that can charge them up. But generally speaking, it should probably be a whole gimmick of that there's a storm with them so there's a percentage chance every you know phase of the game that they're going to get hit by lightning and then you could also make it where the shagats themselves have the ability to genuinely draw lightning and you know maybe yeah. they could choose to either strike themselves with it or they can strike a nearby unit of smaller dragon ogres or maybe they can even strike an enemy unit with it uh that adds a lot more that makes that whole gimmick not only more lore accurate but a lot more exciting as well I'm 100% behind that. I think that's a really good idea. In fact, I'm, I, I, that's much better. Um, keeping the core rule and then adding to it by having the Dragon Ogres themselves be a focus of it. So let's dribble back in time again. And yep. thanks very much for the uh, question there, well, thanks Jonathan. Thanks for the super chat. Appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, it's super appreciated. So uh, let's dribble back in time again and say they were first described as living down in caves all the way through summer. They did not want to come out. And then as the winter times came, there was a possibility should storm clouds gather in and lightning strike that the dragon ogres would be drawn out and would start to ascend the mountains. Mm. And what they would do is basically have one gigantic scrap and whichever one reached the peak first would be zapped by lightning, which would come from the dark gods themselves as a reward for having successfully raised to the very peaks themselves. And then they would become a champion of the gods. Now, why did they write that particular piece of lore in? It's because at that point, they were using a whole bunch of new rules that had been uh, introduced by the Realms of Chaos books, which were for warbands. And the whole point of the warband rules was to have skirmish rules for Warhammer. Warhammer, up to that point, had been big blocks of battle troops facing off against each other in huge formations. And the warband rules were super fucking cool. I played this game more times than I care to mention, where you would get yourself champions with whole warbands behind them. They get themselves a bunch of mutations, special magic, special magic shards. They go kicking living crap out of each other. <laughs> and the dragon ogre uh, chaos champions were fucking rock hard. No other way of putting. Once you put a few blessings and rewards on top of those, they could kick literally anything in. In fact, they were so good that we ended up sort of banning them in our club because they were too fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> but they were awesome. That game was massively unbalanced, but enormous amount of fun because it was just all common. Hmm. Everything about it was just about well, what cool new mutation. Oh no, I've got a beast with a thousand thumbs on my on my model. How do I model that? Fuck. <laughs> um, it was a modeler's uh, joy, a, a, a gamer's uh, hell in many respects, because often your warband would be so massively outclassed by your opponent 
there was no balance in it at all that it was barely worth playing so our dragon ogres were pitched here as another example of a chaos champion that you could add to your warband rules that's why they were being added and they were extraordinarily powerful and this is how they were first pitched into the warhammer game after their initial white dwarf debut where they were just given some basic stats and their association with lightning was uh, hardcore pinned in and had all the rules that we know to this day all the way back in the very first example of when they first came up. Let me just pop up the comment there from Godzilla. Nice to drop in. Thank you very much. Yeah. And you're not necessarily yeah. wrong. And a really good... a, it's a tumultuous relationship. Yeah, didn't yeah. We had a really good conversation with Gav Thorpe actually about this just yesterday. If you want to go check it out, check the Rookery Publications channel on YouTube. Can't believe I just did a quick ad. Hey, that that's everybody's gonna eat, Andy. Everybody's gonna. <laughs> but eat. I did. Here I am. We gotta eat, don't we? But do go check that out. It's only um, it's an hour long chat with me, Gav, uh, Lindsay, and Andy. And um, game balance came up in that. And Gav's opinion was that um, sixth edition, actually, also probably my opinion, was one of the most um, balanced versions of Warhammer. And he gives his reasons was, for why he thinks that's the it case. Was baller it was super fun anyway go on yeah it was super fun I, I, I did enjoy that one um so we got ourselves our dragon ogres pitched as champions of chaos um that had not necessarily sold their souls to chaos in the same way that others had that was in the book the lost and the damned and in some respects they were the ones that were the least lost in that they were powerful enough as a force that they went to the chaos gods and said look in your weakness we will help you now, if you're looking for a story, there's a massive story potentially to be told here. You could argue here that the Dragon Ogres were potentially even responsible for the gates collapsing in that they made a deal and chose to help the Chaos Gods and bring them to a point of ascendancy. And that deal was the Dragon Ogres were losing a battle and they were about to be extinctified. They, hmm. were, they knew they were reaching an end and their most powerful member, their most massive of dragon ogres made a deal on behalf of his entire species and his firstborn agreed to it and all the rest of them agreed to it and we come to eventually what games workshop picks up and turns into the later iterations of the dragon ogres um but the dragon ogres clearly got something out of this deal um and in which was their immortality they in turn also got the fact that we were possibly sterile although that lore drifts up and down in different places um there's also the possibility they have no real gender that's also drifted about a little bit as in they might be a monogendered species in that there's never mm, really mm. been a female dragon ogre really mentioned anywhere um so there's definitely something interesting there to plumb through as we um do our discussions um we also have uh, very clearly written down that they live down in the mountains they rarely come out the fact that they like the cold in winter is also mentioned, and that that really drifts in nicely with what the old ones did when they moved the world from its icy position quite distant from the moon, uh, the sun, pardon me, and pulled it in closer. And as it did, the dragon ogres got more tired because when, during the warm months, they get slumberous to the point that the older ones will sleep for scores, hundreds, or even thousands of years. And the movement of the world closer to the sun could be the event that made the dragon ogres go we can't cope anymore we're dying we we have to do something we're sleeping most of the time we will not as uh, succeed so there's lots of fun bits that we can pull out and tease to try and figure out what actually happened back there if you're looking to build bigger stories because there's lots of hints for what could have happened but broadly speaking we have a species 
that is quite unique, that is associated with preferring colder climates, which will become a core part of that species later on, because they eventually all move up towards the chaos waste um, into the mountains up there. To begin with, they were um, throughout every mountain chain and system, not just in the old world, but throughout the world. But come the very latest edition of them, that will no longer really be the case. Though we mentioned being possibly here or there, but they're largely described as being up in the icy wastes up um, in the mountains up there, coming out only when thunder and lightning comes. Um, they are almost certainly strongly associated with Azir. Um, and I think that's a pretty good place for us to begin. What do you think? Yeah, I would say so. And there, there's a ton of things to, uh, I think, touch on. Uh, rap, almost kind of rapid fire, and we'll just work our way through it. All right. So Andy did a lot of really excellent setup there. So now I'm going to start. Now, now that he's laid the ducks out, I'm going to start shooting. So uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting that uh, I'd love, I think me and Andy should discuss for a moment, is that something that's very unique about the Dragon Ogres um, compared with all the other races in the world all of them that we know of um, there may be exceptions to this as like new races are added like the naga for instance but one of the things that's so fascinating about the dragon ogres is that there's a traditional theme in warhammer that making a bargain with the dark gods and functionally selling yourself to them often means that you lose value um, mm -hmm. because once you've made that deal they are they get you to sign the contract they're like all right you're not fun anymore we we've got you that's the case for the Famir. Um, the yeah. Famir made a bargain with the Dark God, and that bargain did not work out for them. Um, not at all. They, the, the Dark Gods got bored with them and were basically like, you're not, I don't want to play with you anymore. Insert Toy Story meme. Um, and uh, what happened to the Lustrier Dragon Ogres? Thanks, uh, Sean. Uh, thank you, Sean. If they existed, which is actually reasonably likely, they were probably wiped out by the Saurus War of Extermination um, that the Old Ones unleashed. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to agree on that one. Uh, the War of Extermination um, was certainly a part of the troubles that the Dragon Ogres faced and is brought up particularly in the Lustrian book for Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, where they say that the Dragon Ogres were pushed back and they were the main enemy, which to a degree contradicts um, other sources, which says that the Dragon Ogres and the Dragons those two species were at loggerheads. So there's two slightly different versions. I think it's fair to say that probably both stand because mm. um, whatever was happening down in Lustria, I think that would be the first place that would be cleared and they would be pushed out from. So cut a long story short, they're probably all dead except for maybe one or two that hide. Yeah. Um, but uh, what? so getting back to the, what's interesting is that, uh, so you have like, the beastmen the beastmen granted did not really make a deal with the dark gods they were more like born by them and kind of got shafted because they didn't really get anything out of that arrangement and their mm. souls are forfeit the moment they're born supposedly uh which is a really raw bargain that sucks uh it that's sucks. It, it's why you don't tend to see very many beastmen champions and like there seems to be no such thing as a demon prince that used to be a beastman because they have nothing to offer um that being said um, yes, please click the like button. We do appreciate it. It helps other people find this. Uh, but, uh, what's interesting about the dragon ogres is that they made this bargain yet. They are not thrown away. Um, yeah. I think it actually could be fairly well argued that as far as mortals go, um, like non demons, the dragon ogres are probably the most highly valued pieces. The dark gods have. Yes, um, I, I won't just agree, I will strongly agree. In fact, I will re-pitch this slightly. The way that the Dragon Ogres are described and the nature of the pact that they made 
I would argue that they are not chaos troops. What I would argue is that they are people who have been bound to a deal, and if they fail, they then are fallen. They are more allies of chaos. They have made a choice, and their choice was, we will fight for chaos in return for... It's actually a little bit luminous, uncertain. It's difficult to pin down. Nebulous would be a better word, not luminous. That's bright. Nebulous, because... Um, the nature of that deal is uncertain because the creatures themselves are probably already immortal unless they fall in. Um, and I'm just going to say thanks very much, Bearded Freckles. Not even a message. What a, um, what a that, um, uh, I'm just going to say Bearded Freckles rock. There we go. <laughs> I'm right. <laughs> so that aside, um, we don't know exactly what the deal was. We just have that they made a pact so that they could survive. But the nature of dragon ogres is that they're probably already effectively immortal anyway. So the pact was probably to be he to help them survive through the end of whatever particular war that they were dealing with. And in return, the chaos gods asked for the world to be destroyed, which means that the uh, the dragon ogres almost certainly believe that they will survive that. Which is in and of itself interesting. Perhaps that's the nature of the pact. That hilariously, they're right about that. <laughs> uh, and indeed, they are right. I, I'm not yeah. even sure, hilariously, that they're right. Given that we know what happens with Age of Sigmar, we can presume even that the dragon ogres are aware of this. They're aware of the potential of what the future may bring. They have made a pact with chaos. They have not sold their souls to chaos, at least not in the earliest versions, um, where they make it quite clear that their souls will be lost. And, and make it also clear, as we move into the sixth edition of the Army List, um, in fact, I'll let you bring this one up since you were just reading it two moments ago. Yeah, well, uh, so um, what's interesting is that in the older, this gets lost when we get into seventh and eighth edition, but I think there's actually a reason for that I'll talk about in a moment. But there are actually explicit mentions in the Beasts of Chaos book, uh, because something that's super interesting about the Dragon Ogres is that they are one of the only units in Warhammer Fantasy history um, that actually migrated factions in that um, there was a big split. Uh, a lot of people know this, but some people don't, of that chaos used to be a unified book. Uh, there used to just be like chaos. And then there was a split for the into the hordes of chaos and the beasts of chaos. And the beasts of chaos were all of your beastmen uh, and a lot of like creatures of the forest and creatures that were kind of not really like... Mm, not really like mortal worshippers or people that were like often trying to get the dark god's attention, but more creatures that seem to just kind of be a lot allied with chaos. That was like your beastmen and the dragon ogres were interestingly put over there. And then the hordes of chaos were all of your human mortals, the creatures that they controlled and rode into battle and the demons. And then there was a further split where then we got the warriors of chaos and the demons of chaos. Um, but the dragon ogres were originally part of the beasts of chaos. And there's a mention in the book that it seems the main reason for that is the dragon ogres refuse to serve under like the big bad chaos champions, like especially the demons. They don't want to serve any demonic masters because they are genuinely worried that their souls will be put bigger at risk. If they associate with like, like full on embodiments of the dark gods. 
Yeah, I'd just like to draw up um, a quick comment um, that is being mentioned because we do have a sound issue and we are aware of it. Um, it's on my side <laughs> and there will be a slight echo every once in a while. I have massive apologies and little more I can say beyond that. So it will be an issue as we move on. Um, hopefully, I'm going to try and mitigate a good deal of that. By well, and I, I, I need to make point. sure I stay away from my mic because we discovered that one time that it's... Oh, often, yeah, you're right. You so the I'm going to stay over here. But in fact, it could be an issue from both of our yeah. sides. So, um, yeah, the splitting of chaos and where exactly to put each one of the units was clearly an issue of both the background writing that was brought up, and I'm going to quickly brought down and go, the Greek Drakos means dragon and ogre. Do you think inspiration could have been taken from this? I know Shagos from the monster made by Lovecraft, and indeed, I made a loose joke about that in one of my streams because um, somebody called them a Shagos. Um, on my side, I think probably not. Um, that would have that been really was, clever if it was true. <laughs> it really would have been clever. Um, and I say the, re the I mean, I, I could be wrong in this, but I'll say probably not um, because the model probably came first and the mixture of the dragon and the ogre and the sculpt that they did was then, well, like, here's my dragon ogre. What do you think? And it probably had about as much thought put behind it as that. And then the writers then massively changed that as they wrote a whole bunch of cool backgrounds yeah, that, that is a really cool fun fact, Cole. I, I really, really like that particular fact. Um, I didn't know that one either. Um, and if I was writing Dragon Ogres again, I would most certainly play use of that and do something fun down with um, down in the Border Princers or something similar. Yeah, or like a nice story in the vaults um, for an old Dragon Ogre out down there. Particularly given that the Dragon Ogres have got their own name for themselves, and I probably even possibly draw on the Dracos or something like that to um, cartoon. Thank you for them. that. Really, like, yeah, that's yeah, a really good awesome. one. Thanks very much. Cool, you rock. Um, so um, uh, the splitting of the Chaos Forces also um, slightly influenced their lore uh, because obviously the dragon ogres sort of felt like they would fit in with the beastmen. So they were sort of dropped in there um, and it matched their lore relatively well because the uh, dragon ogres at that point, at least still had their souls. Their souls were intact. They had a deal with chaos. They were not just up in the frozen north, which is what they will eventually move to being. They were up in every mountain chain. So it made sense that when they made their split and the Beastman army, which was effectively the enemy within, if you want to go to um, old fantasy roleplay tropes mm -hmm. here, um, yep. It was the enemy within the forests and all the creatures. Now, they didn't really have enough creatures for that, so they created a whole fuck ton of new stuff um, to add into that army list. And all the threat from the north became the warrior's army, effectively. Um, yep. And they dumped the demons in there, too. Um, and then when they split them further and separated the demons from those as well, and we basically had everything from the north, they realized that the lore of the dragon ogres matched that better, slapped them up there, and the nature of how they built their beastman army had changed somewhat. They added just some more creatures in and yeah, slapped the, them into their forests. Yeah, I would say 7th edition is when we really see the kind of the codification of the demons are like, you know, literal entities of the gods, the... The mortals with the warriors of chaos is more functionally the slaves to darkness. It is people who have made bargains. It is people that were I, not. I would say it's a bit tighter. Um, uh, it's very much the hordes from the north. Mm. Um, and yes, they have made bar bargains, but it doesn't really represent, for example, your chaos war band that might rise in the empire or in Tilly or Astalia, because the uh, the chaos warriors that you get are generally the ones from the north. Yeah, I mean, I would counter count eh, counter argue that we do get some interesting stuff about like mutant type units 
or mutant type individuals that get added in that roster and you have like your you know your just your chaos spawn and your uh but like for me the big thing is like especially when we get the storm of chaos book really delving into like the chaos dwarfs got rolled into that roster yeah, and dude. the we got like individuals that um were kind of like regular people but just had fallen to chaos or made some kind of relationship with chaos Whereas I, I feel I feel like mutants do tend to go beastmen, but I, I feel I, like I would say though that that's been a a classic theme for um f because because Games Workshop had a limited uh access into their old world, and that limited access was largely the Empire, hmm. um because of Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, which had de added so much detail to the Empire, they largely ignored the rest of the old world completely. So all of their Chaos Champions often came from either the Empire or Norska. Yeah. With maybe yeah. a couple of others, but I mean, Egrim van Horseman. Well, we know where he came from. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, Sigvald, I, yeah. We know where he came from. Yeah. Um, um, we know where he came from. And they, they pretty much all came from there, but they went north. Um, hmm. And they did the chaos shit, and then came back again. Um, so I, I'm I'm always a little bit disenchanted with how small Games Workshop made their um, old world armies, in that they eventually became just for a long time the Empire, and then Britonia got added on afterwards. Um, but if you take a look at the good old old world map, Astalia is huge yeah yeah massive place and then we'd have chaos <laughs> champions too but this is a cider argument anyway, to our anyway, little dragon so, ogres yeah anyway <laughs> so um yeah and uh long story short is that dragon ogres very interesting relationship uh i do think moving them the warriors of chaos made more sense for the way they kind Agreed. of trade those books and later those army books later uh your beastmen seem to they, they really wanted to lean up much harder into this is your monsters and your forest creatures yeah. and these are your these are your entities that are just born into chaos um, and have always been like, they just know chaos. That's just what they are. Um, whereas uh, warriors has a much more complex relationship. Yeah. I think that's completely fair. Um, I, uh, yeah. In fact, I'll just draw yeah. a line under that and say agreed. Though my um, only, the only thing I will say is I still think it's dumb that they put chaos trolls in uh, the warrior roster and not the beastman roster, but that's just my opinion. <laughs> uh, no, and it's a good one. Um, I mean, this, I'll, I'm going to take a completely different angle, and that is that the splitting up of the chaos armies was probably a dumb choice. Um, it's not my preference. Um, I really loved my old chaos armies, um, and having them split up so I can no longer use them together without having some sort of allies or some equivalent mm. was a little bit of a pain it just felt like there were certain stories that were being were being crushed these things no longer work together in the same way that they did before and that always felt a little bit a little bit uncool particularly given how few other armies there were and they could easily have added other ones but it did broaden chaos significantly because it added an awful lot more codes an awful lot more models an awful lot more um different troop types yeah uh, yeah well, yeah well yeah it's like from a from a role play perspective you wouldn't th those delineations really wouldn't be there a lot of the time um mm. but anyway back to dragon ogres um, yes yeah, so, so um uh, i've got one other um fact on dragon ogres i'd like to bring up because we didn't sure. really mention it and i feel foolish for not saying it um, and that's regarding their age. Now, there's two facts about the fact they're number one, they're immortal, effectively. They only really die in battle. And what that means is not very well explained anyway. <laughs> um, they have two main facts. The older they get, the more they sleep. 
And the older they get, the bigger they get. And that's a really important fact because the old Shagoths are actually huge. The original Dragon Ogre is said to be the size of a mountain. And indeed, that's largely confirmed when you take a look at what happened with Archeon when he pretty much met him, accidentally mistaking him for a mountain. Yeah. So, um, okay. So what the thing I wanted that we got to wrap up that I was doing earlier before we got off on a whole bunch of tangents being us is that um, <laughs> we do something and just because I want to weigh on how unique and important it is to the dragon ogres is that despite their bargain, despite they've made a deal with the dark gods, there's no wiggling out of it. Even though there's some really cool notes in the lore about how some of them do want to wiggle out of it, but they know they can't. Um, but what's so fascinating about the dragon ogres is that they are the most, they are the most valued pieces. The dark gods have like the dark gods do not, they are not casual about using dragon ogres. They don't just throw them away. Um, they treat them, I guess, as respectably as the dark gods treat anything. I don't think that's necessarily the right word, but they are only really used in important conflicts. If you see a dragon ogre on the battlefield, you know, some serious shit is going down. And that's yeah. just like a regular one. Like if you see a whole group of them or a Shaggoth, for God's sakes, like you're dealing with an incursion at that point. It is not a regular war band anymore. I find um, I find the Shaggoth lore in particular a fascinating example of how Games Workshop have codified some things but not others. The Shaggoths, in terms of how they're um, expressed and described, are one of the most important, arguably biggest and nastiest creatures in the entirety of the setting. There is nothing more. Mm. And often this reaches the point where stats become unsure and people aren't quite willing to lay down, holy shit, what this character is. But Games Workshop have never shied away from Shagoths. They've given them stats again and again. Now, the original stats were farcical. Um, they became much less power over, powerful over time. And the Shagoths, by the time we hit 8th edition, are fine um but colex pretty fucking tough yeah um Kolek hits like a truck. yeah yeah, he's pretty yeah. Freaking decent, but even he's not as powerful as the ancient shagaths of old um and i mean that in terms of the actual stats for the original versions and how they mm. were put down as well um but stats in general in warhammer dropped down anyway as they slowly codified the balance or at least the rebalancing of the rules through the additions um <laughs> yeah, they, they so, tried. yeah they're special <laughs> or at least they tried yeah, yeah, yeah. totally so yeah, they're super special. And I think part of the reason that they're super special is not is because they don't actually, strictly speaking, control them. Um, because they are allies. They are someone who've made a pact and can be called upon. And if you call upon them too often, they'll say no. Yeah, that, that actually is a genuine note in the lore, is that yeah. the there are the dark gods are the only reliable force that can wake them up, and they are not hesitant, but they are cautious about calling on them uh, because there is a genuine thing of they don't want to wake them up too much um, in the fear that they might <laughs> might just say no uh, because they're so strong and powerful that the Dark Gods like really want them to participate. They don't just want to smite them. Um, that's a waste of a way too valuable resource and they might not even be able to smite them. Uh, might be the other I, issue. I You've got the further issue as well that if you have a limited number of them, if, for example, they are ster sterile, as various sources half suggest, um, and there are no more coming, if that is the case, then they are a finite resource. And if your plan, even if it's twisted and fucked up and you're a dark god and who knows how they think, they are very much inscrutable. <laughs> but if your plan is loosely bring down the world, 
you're only going to use them at the point when you actually think you can. Yeah. And I, I personally love the, the sterile um, storyline, um, which is like, it, it is a huge focus of their, their representation in second edition Warhammer fantasy roleplay. Um, that is like easily the most important facet of their story in that, mm-hmm. which is the idea that, so for those, uh, what it basically proposes, and I haven't seen anything that ever contradicts this, because um, the later editions don't really talk about it, but they all like there's no mention that there's no baby dragon ogres, but also they're all ancient primordial creatures. So like presumably there's no new ones. Um, but basically what it says is that when the dark gods showed up, uh, like Andy said, they were veering towards extinction. Um, and most the vast majority of sources agree that it was the dragons doing this to them. Uh, they picked a fight with the dragons and they were not winning, uh, which makes sense. The dragons are a really big. Hey, Hammond. Thanks very much. And almost certainly the Shoggoth from uh, Cthulhu, probably, Mm. Um, in that it's a word that was well known by the uh, Games Workshop staff at the time because they were also uh, licensors for the Call of Cthulhu game. Um, So they knew the word. This isn't something that's any great surprise. And Games Workshop loved to pick up other things, make small twists and use them. So it's probably HP Lovecraft and it's probably the Shoggoths from the Cthulhu mythos. Yeah, Thanks very I, much, by the way. yeah, which I do think is a clever use of the word, even though they changed like a single letter uh, and got rid of an apostrophe. But uh, <laughs> like, I do think it's a clever use in the sense that they are ancient primordial creatures genuinely beyond your comprehension. Um, like, obviously, you could see them and not go crazy. But um, one, like one of my favorite, I mean, I like all the trailers because I think they're virtually all super well done. But the trailer for the Warriors of Chaos introduction into Total War Warhammer features Colex Sunneater talking. Um, the whole trailer. And he talks about how, like, he's talking to hum- us, the audience, but he's, you know, he's kind of breaking the fourth wall, but he's talking to humans and he's saying, you know, our origins are unknowable. You can't comprehend why we do the things that we do. We're ancient beyond your reckoning. And one of the things I really like about Kolak in particular, who we're going to talk about more heavily in a little bit, is that I think among the dragon ogres, what's really cool is because of the nature of their bargain with chaos it is very strongly suggested that they are not fully committed to chaos. They don't really give a shit about the dark gods. Um, They don't really seem to worship them. A lot of the time, it's just that they're like, all right, we made a pact. We have to fulfill it. But that's, that's it. Like, don't call me when I'm off shift at work. I'm not going to pick up. (laughs) Like I made a commitment. I will fulfill that commitment, but I will do nothing beyond that. But there are some among the Dragon Ogres who I think genuinely revel in what they're doing. Kolek being one of them. Um, yeah. And that Kolek's under your very explicitly says in his trailer that, you know, he talks about how uh, the, the world, humans and all these other races say that they're fallen. He says, I am not fallen. I am ascended. I am, I am better than you. I am a god. Uh, and he he's a very arrogant prick. But he also is not entirely wrong <laughs> um, in that uh, some of the dragon ogre shagats like Kolek are incredibly old. Uh, Kolek, to my knowledge of the characters we have in Total War Warhammer, he is the oldest character there is. He's even older than Lord Croak because um, he has been around since before the old ones, before the drag- before any of the dragon children. Uh, probably the only character we actually know in Total War who's older than him is like the celestial dragon emperor himself and Kraken Rock maybe. the Black. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. I mean, Kraken Rock the Black definitely yeah, is. His, his dad. Yeah. You know, 
God. <laughs> so, so going back to the deal, um, what is said is that the Dragon Ogres, uh, at least those that Krakenrock considered as important as himself, gathered up and made contact somehow with the Dark Gods. But the Fumir also managed to do this, so we know it's possible. Uh, but they made contact with them, and they had a meeting. They struck a bargain. And apparently it was not a simple thing. It wasn't like they were like, hey, we'll do X, you give us Y. And the Dark Gods were like, deal. Like this probably lasted for days, if not weeks. Um, I, I imagine it probably lasted even longer given the nature of um, the how dragon ogres perceive time, where they view the entirety of mm. human civilization as nothing more than a recent growth of mold that has spread around and caterwauled. <laughs> in yeah. the distance, screaming and braying like a bunch of small animals. Um, they don't even really perceive um, the entire passing of an age of humanity as more than a blip. So, yeah, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if it's something that was drawn out, slow, and eventually plugged into place. Yeah, and so they have this huge thing, and we know that Colex Sun Eater plays a very key part in it. Uh, the whole reason Colex is called the Sun Eater is apparently his part in the bargain was so horrible and so blasphemous that the sun will not look upon <laughs> him ever again. Uh, it refuses to look at him. So yeah. wherever he goes, he is covered by an endless storm, which works very awesome. good for him. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's why he's called the Herald of the Tempest is because wherever he goes, he heralds a tempest because there's an endless storm following him around. Um, but... Uh, What's interesting about that bargain that the Dragon Ogres talk about in uh, the Warren Fantasy Roleplay book, because if you've never had a chance to go through the old bestiary for second edition, it's called the Old World Bestiary. You are a damn fool. Go read that right now. It is super fucking long, but it's amazing. Um, but one of the things that's talked about is that the Dragon Ogres were kind of tricked um, in a sense. I don't think the old, I don't think all of them were. I think Kolek and Krakenrock themselves knew exactly what they were signing up for. But I don't think necessarily all the Dragon Ogres considered what they were signing up for in the sense that they got immortality, like the best kind of immortality, where they only get stronger with age. They cannot die like they literally just can't unless someone kills them um, through battle, which, as Andy said, battle is kind of a nebulous term. But, you know, unless somebody hits you with a light, well, a lightning bolt wouldn't work, but if unless, oh, somebody, wait, wait. unless somebody stabs you. Or uh, wouldn't them using the Dark Gods be seen as a crutch? Wouldn't that bother them? Uh, so, mm. so, Hammond, I, I think the thing is that I, I'm sure they could potentially see that as a crutch, but I think that's why they bargained and didn't beg. Yeah, um, I'll, I'll, I'll make it clear that the Dragon Ogres are exceedingly powerful of this. There's no doubt. We don't know um what the chaos gods definitely gave them they may already have been Im immortal for example and what has happened now ten thousand years later is that various stories have been respawned in different ways who can be certain what they were given what you can say for certain is that they were backed into a corner by the circumstances that they were currently in and those circumstances were probably the world had been moved they were no longer in the icy world that favored them they were in a world that sent them to sleep and they were at war, and a war they were losing. Now, that war was either A, against the Lizardmen, or B, against the dragons. It was probably C, both. Both, yeah. Um, and they were fucked. And they saw that they were fucked. Now, we're not talking fucked short-term. We're probably talking fucked long-term. But they could see that they were heading towards their own extinction. And they made a deal. And that deal was beneficial to both parties. 
Now, you might argue that they were tricked, that something went wrong. There's all sorts of fun stories you could spin out of this. But what you can say for certain is that the dragon ogres, in all of their mightiness, realized that they were screwed. So that there was only one way forward for them, and that was to make a deal with another party, which they definitely did. And that deal did not make them slaves as it did everybody else, although to a degree it did enslave them. Um, it meant that they were going to have to respond at certain points, but the species continues to this day. They are still there. So cut a long story short on that one. Wouldn't damn them be seen as a crutch? Who cares? Crutch, no crutch. Yeah, it was that or death. Like, uh, indeed. And they were, uh, they... God's are a crazy thing anyway. Wouldn't that bother them? Sure, everyone's individuals. It might bother some, not bother others. Some, I'm sure, it would massively anger. Um, and wouldn't they create their own god? I love the way you think you can just grab some Lego bricks yeah. and build yourself a god. Not the easiest thing to do, I'm sorry to say. Happened. Yeah, yeah. remember, Tehenwin literally had a guide and it still took him over 100 years. <laughs> yeah, totally. And you've also got to remember as well that we are talking pre cataclysm the very notion of a god means something quite different in that era indeed they may not even truly exist yeah. and it, at that particular point so i think that pretty much answers all that thanks very much yeah thank you hammond um uh, back so, to you. yeah so what's interesting um is that one of the one of the dragon ogres stipulates that the dragon ogres traded one form of immortality for another being that they traded racial immortality being that you have further generations of your kind to carry on your legacy and all that other stuff for individual immortality where we cannot die. Um, uh, and for that. some of the dragon ogres uh, being like, I think Kolak and Kraken rock, this is an awesome deal. I think they are the kind where they do not care about progeny. They care about themselves for others of the dragon ogres. This genuinely comes off as a very existential crisis um, and a very sad one. Um, one of the things that I actually really enjoyed, I want to say in the eighth edition book is it talks about that many of the dragon ogres are genuinely pushing for the destruction of the world. They're not, yeah. they're not pushing for like any particular victory. They want the world to end. And many of them are not under the illusion that they're going like granted some of them do, but uh, it's implied that many of them don't even think they're going to survive it. They're just tired and they don't want to be doing this really anymore. Cool. I think it's a really cool aspect to them, um, particularly given that there's there's various iterations of what the dragon ogres are looking for. And one of them is that they're looking to end the world because that ends their deal with the gods. Mm. And that's why they're so damn desperate to finally end it all, because either A, they can now die in natural term, or perhaps they can now have their own progeny, perhaps they can continue. Who knows exactly what it is? And I think not having answers to that and having it being somewhat of a mystery, having this very species itself be very difficult to plumb into the details for is one of the things that makes them so attractive. It's one of the things that makes them so freaking cool. Um, yep. If we had answers for everything, if we codified everything out and made it very clear, they'd be somewhat less interesting because you just say, oh, it's just that. That's what they're doing. But instead, you're like, I don't know why they're doing this. Why would they do this? And you make uh, questions. And these questions are, for people like us, half the fun of it all. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, like, I love, there's a there's a quote in the the Old War Beast here from one of the Dragon Ogre Shaggoths that I love so much, where the Shaggoth posits the idea that that, that particular Shaggoth is not convinced that the Dragon Ogres made the, were as clever as they thought they were when they made the deal. And that particular dragon ogre is convinced that the great deceiver tricked them. Um, and that there were circumstances 
before le that led them to their deal with the dark gods that the dark gods were planning for all along um and the dragon ogre shag is like honestly would not shock me at this point <laughs> which is kind yeah, of a sad right. but really interesting uh a view for them to have uh but when you have thousands of years to ruminate on it i could see how they would come to that feeling um so uh, as we're uh we're plumbing through the depths of the origins of the dragon ogres i think there's another dragon ogre that we need to bring up because this is another dragon ogre that liked uh kraken rock I will refuse to accept it or ever remember that name. Um, Krakenrot the Black is not necessarily the first dragon ogre. There's another option, uh, Skoranarak. Now, you might not know Skoranarak. Uh, Skoranarak is a dragon ogre that was first mentioned in the life of Sigmar, one of Black Library's. In fact, I hope, indeed, I do have a copy of that one here. Good old life of Sigmar. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, according to life of Sigmar, which is definitely not Sigmarite propaganda, 100% <laughs> definitely not um, there's two things you can say from this number one is that almost every single person in the empire knows what a dragon ogre is which stands in stark contrast to some of the other species around the world because their holy texts refer to them because Sigmar faced one and now the uh, individual that uh, Sigmar faced was called Skoranarok and the story that spins behind that without going into great detail is that Sigmar was looking to Stephen Bills, you rock! Were there any dragon ogres that actively fought against chaos? I think the answer is, with all the lore that we have, no. Yeah, however, what I can say is dragon ogres are definitely involved in when the chaos hordes fight each other. Um, they almost certainly get wrapped up in that. And you could argue that there may be dragon ogres get woken up and are not actually, in a great mood. <laughs> yeah, let's... let's let's actually contradict my previous answer in fact i'm going to say yes um but that 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 particular angle is worth putting chaos fights chaos all the time but it's a little bit like sharpening a blade yeah um, uh, it's not so much that they are fighting chaos or trying to stop chaos they're trying to prove themselves they're trying to show themselves more worthy than others and the very first iteration of the dragon ogres was pretty much dragon ogre against dragon ogre to show that they were more worthy than any other dragon ogre to be the one that represented chaos on the battlefield uh very much the old warband feel as we mentioned at the beginning of this stream so they are constantly fighting chaos while simultaneously never standing against chaos which i think would probably be mm. a better way and, and the dragon ogres are keenly aware of their stance like uh i want to uh, i don't think it, it might be archaon I, I don't think it's archaon but there are notes of chaos champions who at the end of their sagas will fight a dragon ogre um as like a show of are you strong enough to accept this gift from the dark gods and dragon ogres are very aware that they serve that role but they embrace it um because that's that's just part of the bargain but like they kill people to say are you worthy Michael, thank you so much. Very generous tip. Thank you. That lightning bolt rocks. Yeah, right. But, uh, so, uh, <laughs> yeah, there, but there's a there's a super thing, interesting thing there. Of there may be a dragon ogre that actively, deliberately tries to fight chaos, but that would just be part of the dark god's plan. Like yeah. they would just throw champions against them to produce a worthy warlord. Yeah, they're basically whetstones, sharpening blades. Um, and I think that's uh completely. Uh, I think in terms of stories could make for a really interesting one. But one thing to remember about dragon ogres and it's mentioned in multiple sources is that they are fiercely independent. They're not just independent. Mm. They're fiercely. That's often the adjective that's used fiercely. Sixth edition, I think mentions fiercely independent. It's one of the reasons why they refuse to fight for demonic masters. Um, indeed, they often refuse to fight for 
any masters. They are very much their own individuals. So whatever it is they're doing is probably more guided by the deal that they have with chaos rather than necessarily because they're slaves, because they have to, because they maybe even want to. I imagine there's a certain amount of um, yeah, before sticking by this deal, it's stuck in place for one reason or another. So one presumes magic, which is often the case. Yeah, yeah there, have- there's 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 a whole thing uh, with Codex Eater back in seventh edition. It wasn't explicitly against the rules that certain kinds of monstrous characters could join units. So to cover that, Codex Eater literally has a rule about how he's so prideful and independent he refuses to join any any unit. Doesn't matter what it is, he will not join it. Um, once yeah, they got right to eighth edition, he's too fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, but like once they got to a later edition, they didn't didn't need to do that anymore because score rules. Uh, but anyway, please, hey, anyway, So Skoranarak um was plaguing the Brigandians. For those of you who don't know your ancient Sigmarite tribes, that's modern day Averland. So he's down in modern day Averland, down in probably the Black Mountains to the <laughs> south. Indeed, Black Mountains are referenced several times as the Grey Mountains of the World's Edge. Um, and uh, he has been murderalizing folk, and Sigmar wants to bring the Brigandians um, to his side as allies, in particular to help end the good old battle over at Blackfire Pass, which is going to happen mm. in a few years' time. And he is looking to bind together all of the tribes of humanity, and he has approached the king of the Brigandians and said, hey, give us a hand, and let's cut a long story short. Um, they introduce themselves, and they say, yes, we're actually diplomats. <laughs> you're a very warrior type, aren't you? I hear you're very hard, that sort of thing. Let's move past those Brigandians and just say that the deal was made that if you get rid of this problem, we'll come and join you. The problem was a giant fucking dragon <laughs> ogre. And we're not talking a small one here. We're talking about Sigmar wandering up to the mountain, seeing a fuck-off huge cave, going, okay, fair enough, wanders into the cave and finds Skoranarak asleep. And the gods are said to all be watching because it's definitely not propaganda from Sigmar. Um, and they're all watching on as Skoranarak is asleep and Sigmar comes creeping in. And we're not talking Smaug versus Hobbit here. The size difference is bigger. Um, <laughs> yeah. Sigmar looks at it and goes, uh, you know, this is a noble creature. I don't actually want to take it down. Now, for those of you that ascribe to the fact that anything that sold its soul to chaos is immediately picked up upon by various holy folks, that is not what Sigmar saw. Sigmar saw what he com- was quite convinced was a noble, massive, terrifying creature with skeletons rud- littering everywhere. Because whenever it came out to feast, it just ate everything. Mm. So uh, he has a little thing and he starts creeping up and the Chaos Gods say, yeah, fuck no. And the storms come rolling in. Lightning starts crashing. And just as Sigmar's thinking, maybe I should give him a big bop with me hammer. Skoranarak awakens. Now, Skoranarak is expressly stated to be the founder of all dragon ogres. You could argue that this is an example of where we can clearly say maybe there is a female one, and this is it. It yeah, was Kraknarok on one side. I probably said the name wrong again. Krakenrock, Krakenrock. Um, and on this side, Skoranarak. Maybe here's mum and dad. So we now have ourselves what can only be described as an epic fight. Now, epic fights, um, when it comes to Sigmar, are rarely uh, 5, 10, 15 minutes, even an hour. This fucking fight went on for days as they're yeah. cracking <laughs> away with hammer. He, he obviously doesn't need a snack. He doesn't just stop off and say, give us a moment. I haven't eaten for the last 5, 10, 15 hours. No, they just keep on fighting. Hammer bashing, claws scraping, 
both of them wounding each other, him bounding around from boulder to boulder to boulder, just so that he can strike it somewhere that's not just where it reaches out to him. Until eventually, because we don't need to go into all the details of what is a prolonged combat, we all know who's going to win this, because it's fucking Sigmar. Sigmar eventually... (laughs) Um, after running around on its head a little bit and bashing it on the head and it brushing Sigmar away and Sigmar just getting back up again. Seriously, by this point, if Sigmar's not a god, he's doing a damn good show of it, according to Sigmarite uh, propaganda. Um, he eventually bops that dragon ogre in the face and uh, cuts out part of one of its teeth and drags that back to the Burgundians to show that he's killed it. Um, now, I picked up with this particular story because I quite liked it because it amused me no end. Giant dragon ogre and tiny little Sigmar having a scrap. Yeah. How fucking cool <laughs> is that? Um, and I uh, added a whole host of temples that were dedicated to that fight called the Last Skaranarak Temples that were added into the second edition Thomas Salvation book. And you could do yourself a big pilgrimage all the way from Altdorf that ended with the last Skaranarak temple up in the uh, heights of the mountains um, where a single claw, the end of a claw, stood that Skaranarak himself, supposedly, or herself, left behind. And it's fucking enormous. And you come in there and you're like, what, Sigmar faced off against that? (laughs) Holy shit, <laughs> how, how the fuck did he even do that? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, how? I mean, how? But 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 he did, yeah, and, and no. killed it. Um, so uh, I ran with that because I thought that was a really nice detail that's um, worth re-expressing because it's a massive story. Um, the uh, nature of this fight is given the same strength and of equal danger to his fight against, say, Nagash or his fight against, say, Morkar. Yeah. Um, because, you know, Sigmar in his time pretty much fought everyone because he's a bit of a fighty guy. Um, but in terms of our Dragon Ogre lore, it adds a couple of extra details. First, we have another contender for the founder of the Dragon Ogre species, which is taken over, uh, taken down by Sigmar. But importantly as well, this one is not up in the Chaos Wastes and hiding up in the Chaos Wastes. This one's down in the world's edge or very near the edge of it. Hey! <laughs> I do love your comments. Kavanda's uh, always yelling. Uh, that's not why I need this information, but when you have a Dragon Ogre and a Chaos Dragon army, how do they interact? Uh, they... For the sake of the whoever the warlord is, they probably don't. <laughs> like, there's a whole thing for Chaos Warlords that's actually really fun if you read a lot of the roleplay books or even uh, the older army books that really focus on it. Where a Chaos, what makes Archeon very scary is not really him in combat, even though he is scary in combat. What makes most Chaos Warlords scary is that they get these armies of creatures that fucking hate each other and they force them to behave um and that's important that is critically important don't um i'd also add that uh, quite a lot of the chaos models um to reinforce their theme of slaves to darkness are often wrapped in chains particularly for chaos dragons and similar that Mm. idea that they're bound by magic they're bound and held in place so it's quite likely that this dragon is probably going to have other issues to worry about anyway uh we got a we got a bit message from mornington crescent as well if at the end that one where is it uh, it'll be over on Twitch. It was pretty recent. Um, it says, there it if, is. Thank you. I missed that yeah. there, Morning. I if apologize. The times the incarnate Alario have removed the Dragon Ogre's sterility, and how would they have reacted if they had? Well, I would say it was the end times, so they probably would have been like a little late. Probably doesn't matter at this point. And honestly, I don't think she would have had enough power to do that. Um, so um, I'll come at it from a completely different angle. Um, it, let's do it from the Verenan aspect. 
lawyering. Mm. It doesn't actually matter what their individual circumstances are. There is a deal on, and that deal is bound by, what, 10,000 years worth of magic, strength, and certainty. Just changing a few details about individuals, or indeed perhaps even the whole species, doesn't change the fact that they are bound to do whatever it is that they were going to do. So even if the sterility was gone, and even if they could continue to breed, they would still be in a position of being bound to chaos. So I think the answer would be, it would sadly have done nothing to the overall picture. And the idea that some squirmy little ant was somehow changing their entire species, if anything, it might just annoy them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Hammond, another super chat. Yep, Do I think it? the unpropaganda version is just that Skoranarok was already heavily wounded and Sigmar bumped it on the head? So um, I think actually there's um, uh, Hammond, there's a, a good argument here because the um, story of it is that uh, he he gets smacked in the face and Skoranarok just dies and all the gods look on and say yay Sigmar rocks. But interestingly, Sigmar only took a single claw, a single tooth in fact, yeah. one single fang to prove he'd done it. Could he have taken more? Well, arguably it'd be very difficult for him to carry anything else. But what he could have done is said, hey, come with me and let's go back and look at this enormous corpse. Yeah. He doesn't do that. He quite, just takes the tooth. Yeah, quite and likely Scrain Rock may not actually follow him <laughs> in turn. So yeah, so it's 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 interesting um, uh, this particular one because there was a better way he could prove that he had killed it. He chose not to do that. So you might not be wrong. Who's to say that it didn't survive it? Yeah, I, and I do think there's a lot there because uh, Gomraz is very scary, but like killing a fawn, like one of the oldest Shaggoths, is that even for, even for Gomraz, that's a tall order. It is. I mean, and by that point, I mean, Sigmar had been fighting for ages. He was probably pretty hungry. He probably needed a toilet. I mean, he'd yeah. be doing that <laughs> constantly for days, man. I mean, he'd be sitting there bursting going, look, can I not just knock off a bit of your fucking yeah, claw just, and just call it a day? Just because holy crap, rock. I'm desperate. It just let me just give you a concussion and I'll leave. <laughs> yeah. Go back, go back to sleep. <laughs> but... Just go to fucking sleep, will you? Yeah, yeah um, so... Um, I, I think there's um, not just a potential that that's true. That's the sort of thing that if you're uh, out there as a GM playing games um, and you're looking to play a more high fantasy angle, there is a strong story there in terms of myth that's been established by Games Workshop that is clearly myth. And behind myth, there is always interesting and often contradictory stories. So it's certainly one that could be worth playing through if you happen to be out there role-playing your way through Warhammer, which I obviously recommend you do because Warhammer is a great game to role-play in. Yeah, and so, uh, some other things that kind of come to mind for me, uh, talking about the, the bargain the Dragon Ogres made of the Dark Gods a little bit ago as well. I agree with what Andy was saying about, I don't think it was just immortality they got out of it. And I don't think it's also just sterility that they lost out of it. Of the whole concept of that um biofoot are you telling me there's a massive dragon order course in the mountains for necromancers to get at could be yeah <laughs> and and that is i think actually a really really good point biofoot because if there was there almost certainly would have been a massive story about that or it's been pulled apart or something has occurred because of this in terms of um artifacts that we have definitely known to have survived all the way through to 2500 IC, so the modern time before the world comes to an end. There is definitely 
one claw and one fang surviving. One claw that lives in the last Garanarak temple. I know it's there. I wrote it. Um, and on the other side, one fang that lives in the original founding Burgundian city, um, which isn't a city. It's a tiny village, actually, with a big fang that's been sitting out with the elements for pretty much forever, still unchanged because dragon ogres never fucking die. Um, so we only have two bits of it left, and that sounds ridiculous. Actually ridiculous, because if there was a huge corpse there, there would be bits of it everywhere. So I think the answer to your one is, I think actually the earlier comment might be spot on. Yeah, that Never being said, I think Sigmar would have been a damn fool not to find a way to collapse that cave on top of that thing. <laughs> Just yeah. to be sure. And, <laughs> and I think that's very likely that I'm um, trapped in a cave somewhere that is either a living or a dead one. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Uh, but what's interesting, uh, as I was saying about the bargain, is that the whole thing with uh, Kolek that really jumps out at me is the idea that apparently Kolek's role in the deal was so heinous that nature itself like rebukes him, which I which I don't think is just a myth. I think there is some truth to that in that he is such an affront to the natural order of the world that nature itself is like disturbed by his passing. Of what the hell did he do? Like, mm -hmm. what actually happened in that bargain? I think there's so much more there that's not expressed, um, which yeah. I, is cool for the imagination of trying really to figure is. out what did Kolek like. How bad was the Scroding Scroding or Shaggy? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just gonna bring that one up. I know we don't bring up many of the comments from the chat. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that's that really funny. <laughs> what's in the box but um but uh oh, it's yeah, or is it? <laughs> uh, uh but it's a really interesting thing to uh to wonder about and like how do the other dragon ogres feel about it how do the other dragon ogres um one of the things that's talked about a lot is that the dragon ogres sleep for super long periods of time um yep. so long in fact that it's talked about in the lore that they have dreams and mm -hmm. for the dragon ogres their dreams are so vivid that to them uh, to, especially the Shagas, the worlds they're in when they're dreaming, most many of them believe that is reality. And that yep. when they're awake in the Warhammer world, that is when they are dreaming. Um, that they are pulled into a dream. Um, and and so there's even like one suggestion um, that one of the reasons they're able to be so cruel and awful and just like way lace to everything before them without a care of the world and actively push for the destruction of everything is because they don't believe the world is real. Yeah. They, they think it's a dream that they're just pushing to its natural conclusion um, so that they can go back to being awake in the real world. Um, I, I particularly like that idea. And it was one that was added by T.S. Luca in the best tree. But before I go on to that, I'll just drop in with a quick, um, what did he do? He said the French are the best. <laughs> I have no idea what you're referring to. What was that bit? I think the um, what what did Kolek do in the deal that was so awful? Oh right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, uh, oh, I forgot what I was going to say. Dr dreams, uh, dreams, waking dreams. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. I really like this one. It was added by T.S. Lukert for the second in the second edition, um, Bestery um, for One Fantasy Roleplay, and I particularly liked it because it actually draws upon the um, general cosmology of Warhammer and 40k in that we're aware that there's this great loose connection in the greater cosmology between everything and that certain entities have managed to bridge or find their way through that uh 
let's say distance in the aether or those places between worlds and you just get that idea that these dragon ogres are something bigger something deeper and that their essences their actual lives are held in a completely different place and that the material bodies that they have on the warhammer world are nothing more than a material component of something far bigger and far more exceptional again perhaps uh leading to the decision to make uh a deal with the chaos gods rather than not and that in itself is fascinating the chaos gods as we know bra bridge between the warhammer world and the 40k realm and indeed any other realm that games workshop decides to make up it's the same demons it's the same stuff in all places and we get that idea that the dragon ogres are somehow attached to this and if you want to go really deep cut because don't we all like the occasional deep cut <laughs> i'm really curious where you're going theory? with this <laughs> okay so here we go let's go proper deep cut here we are aware that 40k has got itself one gigantic issue attempting to eradicate it from the outside, which is six-limbed Tyranids. Zotes <laughs> are attached to that, for example. Yeah. Zotes are also an ancient creature in the Warhammer world. Um, and six-limbed dragon ogres and six-limbed dragons, they're the ones that predate the arrival of the old ones and all its stuff. There's definitely something that... Um, anyone curious and and really conspiracy theory esque could try and draw from that if they wish to do so. All right, you heard it here first, everyone. Uh, Tyranids are literally just dragon ogre dream creature nightmare creatures. <laughs> there we go. Forty <laughs> K is just a dream. It's just a bad just dream. A dream. Warhammer is the truth. <laughs> um, but so one of the things that I find really interesting is a part of me wonders if one of the things the dragon ogres got out of the deal with the dark gods is the dark gods essentially promised them paradise streets. Um, I think that's definitely a potential. Um, for me, it feels uh, it feels almost lessening though because it feels a bit matrix now. Um, effectively, mm. they were given the red pill, blue pill, and <laughs> which one do you want to take? Um, and they went, fuck it, I'll take that pill, please. Thanks very I, much. I'll I don't necessarily think it was. I don't think it was necessarily a sense of like, we're going to give you this other reality so you can like escape and feel great. A part of me almost feels like it is part of the, not so much like that was something the dragon ogres asked for, but rather I think that's something the dark gods may have given them to reward them and be like, Hey, you stay out of things until we call you slashes <laughs> in battle. Cards. Okay. So I'll give you a random one. Drakenfels is in dark future, which means Drakenfels is in the real world. <laughs> Okay, so if you want a connection between Fucking Warhammer and the world, I can give you one. So Drakenfels is a, a literal character who dreams as he's um, sitting inside the dark future realms because the same author, Kim Newman, um, and uh, one of the characters in there, I forget his name, his name's Seth. Seth dreams of another world where a vampire girl is attacking him. It's basically Drakenfels, and he's exactly the same character, reiterated and reimagined in a different place. So that's almost battle cars because Dark Futures was indeed Games Workshop's car fighting game. So Amazing. was it Slanesh? Not necessarily, but it was Drakenfell. <laughs> oh yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> um, yeah. So we have the whole dream conversation, which is super. Can interesting I just bring up this comment because I just want to say I might have done this in a game. That's all I'm going to say. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> the Corpse Emperor. Wow, he's doing really well now. Look at him. He's moving. Um, but um, so uh, one of the other things about the Dragon Ogres I particularly like. Um, so we've we've talked about the dreams uh, a decent little bit and that their, their dreams seem to be decent in that they seem to actively try to go back to them. 
Um, at least a lot of them. There are some who I don't think as much. Like, Colex Sun Eater very much seems to enjoy the waking world. But he's also a bit of a, an anomaly among his species, where Colex seems to very actively enjoy conflict. Um, I don't think he's the only one. There are a lot of... One of the things I really like about that Life of Sigmar quote that you talked about, that I think is true for a lot of ragged, dragon ogres, is they're very heavily implied to have warrior spirits. Of that, when they wake up um, and they go to war, they feel alive in conflict. Um, I, there's actually uh, one note about how many of the dragon ogres like genuinely loathe their existence except for when they're fighting. That's when they finally are like, oh, this is great. Like I'm, I'm all awake and I'm energized and I, I, my blood's up. Um, I think there's a, I think in the second edition book, there's a really cool quote from a dragon ogre that says something along the lines of that dragon ogre has lived for so long and is just waiting to die except for when he fights. And when he fights, the only time, when something actually has the possibility of killing him and he's fighting for his life, that's when he feels most alive. Um, because suddenly it's like fun and there's stakes, um, which like, man, that makes immortality sound like it really sucks. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to add another little detail as well, because this one's really easily missed. And I think it's worth bringing up just for the general conversation. Mm. And that's in the Storm of Magic book, where, again, we get another version of the Dragon Ogres getting brought up, brought up with the Shagons. Mm -hmm. um, the background, again, is mostly copy-pasted, because that's the very nature of how Dragon Ogres have been pretty much pitched in the beginning. But they add one extra detail because of the requirements of that book. And that's that all the monsters that are being presented in that book are largely presented for one reason, to summon up and have wizards control in great massive battles. But dragon ogres don't really fit that because they're not really bindable creatures. They're, they're intelligent. They've got to deal with the dark gods themselves. They can't really be controlled. But they add an extra little detail in there saying that some sorcerers, particularly one cabal, had found a method of controlling them by using lightning to drive them into frenzies and then controlling those frenzies and directing them towards others. So I think that also speaks to the overall position that the dragon ogres have in comparison to the other species. You don't get a nice little bit saying dragons can't be controlled. That's not the case, but there is a little extra put in there saying dragon ogres can't normally be controlled. They're quite beyond that. And it requires something particularly special particularly deep to actually be able to control them in any fashion or another so i think that's also worth um iterating as yeah. a nice little extra detail i love um, that so much because it actually had a rule as well they had the shackled by lightning rule so they counted as permanently frenzied <laughs> yeah <laughs> and, and that's fun um yeah. it's a nice way of using the background within the setting that uh they were using for the storm of magic there which i really i really enjoyed that as a nice detail because it allowed them to use those creatures but still maintain their background um also it's worth dropping out there's a as i recall i haven't read this one for a while as i recall um colic was originally bound by techless and back in the yeah, sixth uh, yeah that's actually a really that, interesting that, thing my right my memory in that yes. i'm almost yeah really i actually i was book. about to bring that up of that um because that's bullshit yeah, and the original, the very first time they ever wrote it, Teclas did it, which didn't make any fucking sense because Teclas wasn't is a, born. Teclas is a baby uh, by yeah. elf standards. But uh, so they corrected it in eighth edition, uh, maybe in seventh, but definitely eighth. They corrected it to that way back. We're talking like probably before the foundation of the empire. Um, a a collection of the most powerful living uh, high elf Safirian lore masters got together, tracked Kolek down in the wastes, 
and they imprisoned him. I guess we should talk about Kolek for a bit. And they yeah, go do some Kolek stuff. I'll yeah, lean and, back and just nod. Yeah. So Kolek gets imprisoned within a glacier. Um, and it's not just any glacier, it's a super special extra magic glacier that cannot be uh tampered with or destroyed by any mundane means. Um, it is frozen utterly. And Kolek stays there for a super fucking long time, which is why Kolek Sunnyder doesn't actually play a role in much of the story, uh, because he actually gets released rather late in the story. Mm -hmm. um, Kolek Sunnyder won't, he's gone for thousands of years until he's finally woken up by the, uh, the mad sorcerer Malifex. And Malifex finds Kolek Sunnyder and uh, actually unleashes an insanely powerful spell that summons a firestorm down on top of Kolek's glacier and it melts him out and Kolek busts out in I want to say 1730 of the imperial calendar um so like only a few hundred yep. years ago and he just goes on a rampage uh because he's been asleep for so long and Kolek uh Kolek wakes up surprisingly often um there's the starting quote for all of his entries ever written says every eight generations uh he wakes up um like clockwork eight generations apparently. of what elves yeah, I, I guess they're like, they're like eight generations Orcs. and it's like he only shows up three times. So like, I guess humans, but that's, I don't, it's, I mean, it's a it's very a rubbish line. Whoever wrote that was so humanocentric. Yeah, it was a really goofy line uh, because yeah. it actually doesn't work also when we get into his thing. So Kolek runs around the chaos waste rampaging around. Um <laughs> 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 yeah, thanks for that. Yeah. No, I can't unsee it either. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Christ. So, or on here, it. Yeah. So, Kolek um, is different than other dragon hunters. <laughs> he, that's such a stupid mental image. He revels so much in war that Kolek uh, gathers around him legions, armies, uh, to the extent that Kolek even charged. Uh, his followers with uh, equipping him with a suit of brass armor, all the better to draw lightning towards him and make it just like go crazy all over his body because brass, you know, interacts with lightning. And one of the things that's really interesting about Colex Sunneater is that Colex Sunneater so heavily embraces the waking world and his role as a champion that Colex Sunneater has a cult. Um, where he actually lives in the World's Edge Mountains. He doesn't hang out up in the uh, Chaos Waste like most of the Dragon Ogres. He lives in the northern World's Edge Mountains. I, 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 sorry to interrupt, but is brass really conductive? Isn't it copper? I, I, I probably... I'm sure it's not that conductive. I'm going to go check that. While you're chatting, I'm going to go yeah, check it I don't. I don't really think it is. Uh, I think they should have picked a different material, but he wears brass armor for some reason. Um... Okay, so it's twenty eight percent as conductive as copper, so it does conduct, but not very well. Yeah. So yeah, that was clearly should have got. Uh, I guess just branded it with the zero runes. I Everything's guess, fine. I guess he only had a cornate cult to hand. <laughs> He's like, "What metals <laughs> you guys got? <laughs> they weren't we scientists. <laughs> it's metal, isn't it? Yeah, That'll we, do we it. Got metal. <laughs> Probably never, never ask, never ask Norskins to do a chaos dwarf's job. But uh, so um. Uh, Kolek Sunnier lives up in the World's Edge Mountains um, in a really big crater, supposedly. And he has a full-on cult where uh, Kolek is worshipped as a mountain god. Um, a lot of these humans actively... There are literally... It talks about there are hundreds, if not thousands and thousands of humans that worship him. 
and they gather around his crater all the time and they make sacrifices and they cut people's throats and throw them into the pit that he crawls out of when it's time. And they just live there. Um, they believe him to be a literal God of a mountain um, or a living mountain because he's fucking massive. Uh, I mean, Colex Sun Eater is so big that he was the attack on Titan meme before attack on Titan was created. Of the, if you've seen Attack on Titan, you know the whole opening scene of the, the Titan leaning over the wall. That's literally Colex Sun Eater at the Siege of Prague. Um, and that he plays a huge role in that battle as well. Um, that's the first time we actually like get some details about Colek. Of that, Colek, uh, he has this cult and they wake him up. Uh, by they do lots and lots of sacrifices, and eventually a big storm will come down. And when the storm shows up in that particular part of the mountains, those people start to kind of go crazy, and they all gather upon the mountaintops and they fall to their knees and they make worships and offerings until Kolek finally wakes up. And when he comes out, he leads this army. What's really interesting about Kolek is he does not ignore the people that worship him. He has a literal horde that he acknowledges, and they follow in his shadow. Um, like he which is genuinely very spooky because that means he has a very different relationship with other followers of chaos than most other dragon ogre shagas do where while Kolak is arrogant, he's not so independent, so to speak. Um, and that he has followers who fashioned him armor and helped him make his big fucking hammer, um, which is star crusher, which was supposedly forged in the heart of a volcano or whatever nonsense. Um, and star crusher is fucking gigantic. Um, and hilarious and goofy. Uh, also had some of the most broken rules in tabletop, considering Kolek's stat line, uh, because he could kill just about anything in close combat. But uh, Kolek made his big debut as far as like much of the wider world is concerned at Prague, where they were laying siege to the city. Asvar Kul, big bad ever chosen, managed to pull Kolek into his side, which is impressive, but he isn't ever chosen. And the siege was not necessarily going poorly but also wasn't going great Prague had lasted against many different chaos hordes over many a very long long period of time um i don't i don't think Prague had ever been sacked before cool had it depends on which story you read yeah um Um, there's um uh, i can think of at least one source that says yes and another that says no so i think that's the answer sure maybe yeah maybe but uh uh, in fact yes by the gospodars ah yeah that's fair definitely Uh, once at least yeah but uh it had really big walls uh and the hordes of chaos were having a hard time getting through it uh and some of the older lore it says that um uh ingram death sword i think ingram death sword yeah it says that ingram death sword into the siege supposedly um uh he's a he's a really famous piece of artwork he's that really like big warrior chaos like the giant lightning sword yeah, he's yeah, the chaos yeah, champion. Yeah, 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 um, yeah, yeah. In the in the old lore, it said that he ended the siege by literally telling his troops to just keep running at the gate until there was such a massive pile of dead that he was able to walk up them and get into the city, which is goofy as fuck and really funny. Um, mm-hmm. But in the more modern lore, it says that Kolek functionally ended the siege. Of that, mm-hmm. Kolek marched over to the walls of Prague. Uh, he showed up fairly late in the battle, uh, and he he marches up, and there's this huge storm. Right, he's the herald of the tempest. No one could see anything. It's a huge blizzard. Um, he's often referred to as a, uh, he's believed to almost be a spirit of winter because whenever he shows up, because the Tempest, there's often a blizzard around him and you can't see him, which is extra terrifying. So that when he shows up on, when he showed up at the walls, they look up and all of a sudden they see this thing looking over the walls at them. 
and he raises up Star Crusher and he brings it down with a single blow and obliterates the wall of Prague. Um, which is amazing. Uh, Pretty fucking cool. That's what that is. Yeah. And then he forces himself into the city and the hordes of chaos pour in after him. And of course, Prague is utterly fucked at that point. Um, now, what's interesting about Kolek that's very unique about him, I think, is that Kolek is noted to hate other gods. Um, and I think it's because he's jealous of that. Kolek actually goes on a rampage throughout the temple district of Prague, where he goes out of his way to tear down and destroy every single temple of every single god he can find. Um, he wipes them all out, smashes all of them, and then, and only then, does he turn around and leave? Um, he doesn't stay for all of the festivities. He doesn't stay for Asvar Kul's big ritual that turns Prague into a literal hellscape. Um, he just he just leaves. Um, and he go he marches back off to the world's edge mountains. He had fulfilled his part of the bargain. He was yep. ready to go back to sleep. Um, which and that's one of the things I think find particularly interesting about them because if we were looking at typical chaos peeps, you know, your standard chaos champion or someone striving for ascendancy defeating all of the other chaos people so they can rise up as a demon prince um there is always that undercurrent of slaves to the damned they are lost to chaos where this is an individual who is working according to his own interests his own desires and yes he has a job to do because of whatever pack they have in place but when it's done he's done yeah, and I think there's a really interesting idea to explore of that, like, you know, most Chaos Champions, their hordes are bound to them until they die. Uh, and then when they die, everyone falls to their usual shenanigans or runs away. Um, but Kolek, like, he was just like, all right, I've I've participated. I, I have done what I wanted to do. I'm going back to bed. Like, fuck yep. you guys, I'm out of here. Which... I'm sure Cool would have loved to have had Kolek at the Siege of Kislev. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that probably would have made a <laughs> I mean, huge difference. Yes. <laughs> yeah. um, but he didn't. Like, Kolek straight up abandons him uh, after that, which is yep. so interesting because he's one of the only creatures that can do that. Yeah. Um, um, I find the... Um... I find the whole nature of how that all comes to, um, together really cool. Um, uh, the, I, I will add that Chaos is often massively fragmented often mm -hmm. and uh the individual chaos warlords will all have their own schemes afoot and whether they see those through or not is often down to the strength of will of the ever chosen whoever it may be in that particular driving um or alternatively whatever other pressures are being placed upon them um but the dragon ogres and here personified by one dragon ogre so the whole species in some respects is personified by Kolek here um but the dragon ogres are marching to their own drum at all times and that is a drum that is swayed by a pact that they have with chaos not with being slaves to the damned um and i think that that is uh, overall a fascinating difference for that species and one that i would be concerned if they accidentally wrote out because whoever the new designers are didn't really realize that the dragon ogres were a bit different and that sometimes happens um yeah. but when new writers come in they look at a thing and they go well that's fucking cool which army list are they in uh chaos so they're the chaos guys i'm now going to write them as pure chaos and they don't necessarily read everything that came before particularly given that warhammer is often iterative each edition 
doesn't necessarily mm. contradict the one before, but it sometimes adds less details because there may be less space in an army book or because there may be a different stress for what the characters are being presented for. So um, the Dragon Ogres have, to a degree, changed over time while simultaneously being exactly the same as they were originally pitched. Um, and I'll admit to being a little bit concerned that they may change, but I really hope they won't because I think so, they're freaking yeah. awesome as they stand. Um, I don't personally. I don't think they will because of how awesome they are in Age of Sigmar. Um, where one thing that's really interesting about the a small tangent. Uh, of I think that, a worthwhile tangent because um, uh, uh, hands up, I don't know the Age of Sigmar stuff at all. Yeah, I find it a really fascinating reflection of what Games Workshop's currently thinking regarding various species. So I think it's not just worthy diverting off to that. I think it's um absolutely essential to understand the species both as it stood and where it potentially may go to next yeah so okay i have a i have a interesting fact for you but first i'm going to start with a funny fact um i like which, both which is just his <laughs> so the mental image of this always makes me laugh because it's so good so apparently according to the lore of age of sigmar which is a lot of fun app apparently when the end times happened the world explodes right like chaos wins and all that shit happens and it blows up Kraken Rock the Black, right? <laughs> Big Daddy himself, who mm -hmm. did not appear in the end times. They forgot about him. Well, Age of Sigmar, of <laughs> Age of Sigmar remembers him, and it says that, oh, yeah, sure, he woke up, and he was fighting, and then the world blew up, which, you know, should have probably killed him, but it didn't. So Kraken Rock, it's described that he just goes hurtling off into space, right? So really? he's, just, he's just flying off into outer space because hey, most, most of the chaos champions got like slurped up by the realms of chaos and taken to like other worlds and stuff. Not Kraken Rock. Nope. He got left behind. So he's just flying through space by himself. Uh, and he stays out there for thousands, maybe millions of years. Just of course floating, he does. <laughs> floating in space. And eventually the mortal realms coalesce. Um, and they like form out of the remnants of the world that was and all the magic and all that stuff. And so Kraken Rock finally at long last after shooting through the stars for God knows how long crash lands into Azir. Um, the the realm right. of heavens. The realm of Azir. Yes, and he yeah, actually good. takes he takes over as the. That's primordial. not a good place for a dragon ogre. No, well, I, I, I'm sure for from his perspective, it's a great. I place. mean, it's brilliant for him. <laughs> yeah, and he actually takes over as the primordial owner, ruler of Azir. As you um, do, um, and uh, the dragon ogres, uh, whether there were other survivors or he somehow started popping out kids magically again, it's not really clear. Of course he did, but. Uh, like the, an alien the, queen they just came yeah. out of eggs but they actually do hold consistent to the lore that the pact was over so the oh, dragon well, ogres that's oh i'm excited already yeah, you're right the dragon ogres can have kids again so they start cool. propagating and they start taking over azir and to them it's their natural habitat they're not creatures of chaos they are uh, well, you could argue they are but they are they are not bringing chaos to the realms they just mm -hmm. exist. They're just part of the realms. And then many hundreds, if not thousands of years later, Sigmar shows up. And Sigmar, uh, who was flying around with the core of Malice, which is the name of the Warhammer world, apparently, um, got found by Dracothian, who's the big Star Drake, which is literally a living constellation, uh, who wakes him up and is like, hey, what's up, dude? Or, and by wakes up, I mean, Jafal and revives him because Sigmar fucking died but uh he resurrects him 
And uh, he takes Sigmar to the mortal realms and is like, you should look around and have fun. And Sigmar's like, cool. So Sigmar starts exploring and eventually he makes his way to Azir. And when he gets to Azir, uh, he finds the dragon ogres and Sigmar's like, oi, <laughs> it's those gits. And there's a whole thing about how Sigmar gets into a tussle with the dragon ogres. And this uh, fairly late in the age of myth, Sigmar has a full-on war with the Dragon Ogres, where he gets a lot of his guys, and they go out to purge the Dragon Ogres. And what's interesting is that while Age of Sigmar very much has this idea that, like, while you have the eight gods, so the gods of each of the mortal realms, they're not necessarily the original owners. In fact, the vast majority of them are not the original owners. They are usurpers um, who kind of pretend that they're the original creators. Um, so Sigmar goes in and he fights Krakenrock the Black. So we get this big, ridiculous, epic showdown between the hey, father. You killed your wife. Yeah, yeah. So they have this big <laughs> fight. And what's interesting is that Sigmar wins, but not by a lot. And when he wins, all he functionally manages to do is he banishes Krakenrock from Azir to yeah. one of the other realms. It's not said which, but that uh Krakenrock escapes to one of the other realms. And uh, the dragon ogres are chased out of Azir. So the dragon ogres are, instead of being a race that is all about this bargain of chaos, instead the dragon ogres are purely focused on that they hate the forces of order because the forces of order are part of Sigmar's pantheon. And Sigmar took their home from them. He robbed them of their culture, of their home, of like where they had set up. They were there first. It was their they shaped that place before Sigmar took it from them and said, I'm Such God, get out. Sigmar, eh? <laughs> yeah. Coming and... in with his privilege and his colonial ways. I mean, <laughs> yeah. he's, he's well, a classic uh... example of something made by England. Oh, I mean, yeah. Yeah. He's, I mean, he is. We, we yeah. all know just how many uh, I... countries around the world that England yeah. has attempted to conquer. I really enjoy how much Age of Sigmar paints Sigmar is like. Yeah, from a human perspective, he's the good guy. But if you start really paying attention, there's some ugly shit going on. Um, yeah. Like, he's not as good as he says he is. <laughs> but um, one of the things that's so interesting about the Dragon Ogres is they're part of the new Beast of Chaos. And the new Beast of Chaos, uh, despite the name, they are not worshippers of the Dark Gods. The vast majority of them. Um, the Beastmen, they, do not, they don't even acknowledge the four major powers. They do not acknowledge Nurgle, Zinch, Slanesh, or Korn. They instead worship their primordial ancestors. So most of them, most of the beastmen uh, worship um, what is known as, I, mm, I can't remember what he's called. I, I can't remember if he's called like the great beast or the gore father. Thank you. That most of them worship the gore father. It's the gore father. Yeah. So the gore father, they believe is the, primordial... the gore mother because you know, that would be more realistic. Uh, yeah. Uh, he's been going to. Yeah. But uh, yeah, good old, good old doze. <laughs> so the gore father who may or may not still exist. Um, it's not clear. You know, it's one of those things in age of Sigmar where maybe one day he'll have a mini, but we don't know. Um, but it's not clear whether or not he still exists. They don't even know if it's a he. They just know they know it's an it. Um, well, that's you know, out there. Oh, the father, you're guessing that they're gendering it. Yeah, but uh, it's out there somewhere. Uh, and they always wish for it to return and constantly. And the Gore Father did not acknowledge the Dark Gods at all. The Beastmen were there before Chaos showed up in Age of Sigmar. They don't give a shit about the Dark Gods. Now, there are some Beastmen that do, and those are your Zongors, Slongors, Korngors, yeah, and Pestigors. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They worship the dark powers, but all of the other beastmen think they're weird. 
Like they think they're full on, like they kind of consider them outcasts. Um, and when they get their Bray Herds together, they will allow those other beastmen to join them, but they're kind of like kept at a kept at an arm's oh, length. Um as a as a wrap up on um the relationship there, where what do those beastmen, which I think actually does speak a little bit back to Warhammer as well, because um, if our beastmen were children of chaos, as they're often referred to inside um, Warhammer, rather than Age of Sigmar, um, then they would continue to be so. So I think there's definitely something there in terms of adding a little bit of extra flavor to what the beastmen actually are back in Warhammer. But what's the relationship mm. would you suggest, without too much um, time in it, given that we don't want to Age of Sigmar too much here, but what's yeah, the relationship? Yeah, yeah our dragon ogres and our beastmen there do they have much of one are they allies are they people who just conveniently are going towards a similar goal or do they share some worship or any other aspects do you think yeah so the big thing that seems to ultimately uh unify them is that they all they all are a they are all disenfranchised um they are all outcasts from civilizations they don't tend particularly care for civilizations who have all been outcast by various factions and they ultimately seem to bring them all down and restore the old status quo um with the dragon ogres worshiping kraken rock specifically who is still alive like he is explicitly still alive and out there and i'm 99 sure is going to get a mini when they redo the dragon ogre models you know should he really get one? Because the second you do that, you're just going to diminish well, it because you're not going to be able to make a proper mountain-sized yeah. dragon. Is there, the, it's the it's the game of gods. Like Kragnos yeah. is roughly the size of Kraken Rock. Like Kragnos is fucking ridiculously huge. Um, interesting. But okay, interesting. Uh, anyway, that's enough uh, AOS for now. Um, back to Warmer Fantasy. Speaking of Kraken Rock, I do think there's some interesting things to talk about him because there's one really interesting unresolved mystery with Kraken Rock. Mm -hmm. Um which is that, so for those unaware, Kraken Rock, like Andy said, appears as a mountain. Um, he is like, a, not like a little mountain, like a full big fuck you size yeah, he's mountain. he's a fuck off big massive dragon ogre. Yeah. Indeed, where, um, uh, when Archeon encounters him, they thought he was a mountain. Yeah, they scaled um, so him. Worth, yeah, because he's fucking huge. Yeah, and they don't, and the reason Archeon has to scale him is because uh, Kraken Rock had something, which is that Kraken Rock asleep has his main hands his two big main hands uh one of his hands is on his chest and pinned against his chest is the slayer of kings which is uh the big nasty epic sword of archaeon uh which actually was created by vandal the second ever chosen of chaos and that's literally the only thing we know about vandal we know that yep. he's the second ever chosen and that somehow he bound a greater demon of corn named Uzul into a chaos Uzul. blade, um, which hilariously Uzul is also the name of um, Skull various uh, of Skull Reaper. Um, it's also is, the name of various. Um, it's also the name of various spells too. Yeah, um, it's a very spells. popular word and name. It uh, is <laughs> Skull Taker. Yeah, sorry, Skull Taker. Uh, yeah, so which is a lot of people get confused by that. The the Uzul Skull Taker is not the same as Uzul Greater Demon inside the sword. They are two very <laughs> separate entities. It's very likely their names are significantly longer than that. Um, we just get the short versions. Um, but what's interesting about Vandal um, is that a he had the knowledge and ability to create a Chaos Rune Blade, which 
says a lot about him. But I have to wonder if Kraken Rock has never woken up in 10,000 years, how the fuck did that sword get under his hand? Yeah. So um, I thought this exact same particular poser approximately what time are we at now so approximately five hours ago um because i was refreshing <laughs> myself and having a little think and i was like oh i should go check that up because kraken rock whose name apparently I, I can now say um uh he was popping up and i was like oh i need to remember what he did he did something with archeon there was something there um but wait a minute didn't he didn't he so i went and looked it up and read it again i was like yes he did fuck's sake how does that make any sense at all? And I think that um, we can say for certain that the central thrust of that character is that he made a deal with Chaos 10,000 years ago, and he has been asleep ever since. So I don't think that anything that contradicts that can be stood. We have obviously some weirdness with the first ever chosen as to exactly when he did or he didn't exist because we have conflicting versions of Morkar and exactly where he pops up and down. Although the eighth edition is very much landed on Morkar was killed by Sigmar hmm. um, and pretty much landed there firmly. But that doesn't mean that that won't be rewritten at a later date when everyone yeah. realizes that... Because the reason that that was changed was because there was that thought that there couldn't be anything but demons on the first arrival of the uh, during the cataclysm. But as the lore has been expanded and as everyone has realized, there was always other species around at that point. All sorts of things could be and ever chosen, and the elves don't need to just fight demons. Holy shit, we could bring Morkar back as the great enemy against the Narian. Indeed, that's what almost certainly should be the case. But that's a completely different stream. Um, we don't know when Vandal comes. Um, we don't know when that date is for certain, but it seems almost certainly at, within the last 2,000 years, which is weird as fuck when you start going, that means what? Are, we've got all, what, 11? Uh, yeah, it's, it's 11 ever chosen in just 2,000 years? That yeah, means we're getting basically one every 150 <laughs> years? Yeah, trying to squeeze all 13 of them into 2,500 years no sense. Yeah, the, is really the weird. Our problem has caused massive problems for all of their dating. Nothing makes sense in the way it used to when Morkar was around during Inarian's time. Um, Inarian clearly, uh, to now, gives more than enough time for our 13 ever chosen. We no longer have that. Um, so we're talking approximately 1,800 years ago, if you go with the current 8th edition timing, to about 2,000, uh, no, sorry, 2,300 well, years to about yeah, 2,500 yeah. years ago, pardon me. Um, so in that era, he moved his hand. I mean, I don't know about you, but I come sometimes move when I'm sleeping. It's the hmm. only, well, it's so... the only obvious option that we have that he has not been awoken. That possibly I never chosen needed to do something that caused him to stir, but that stirring was not a proper awakening, and there was possibly a crushing of somebody beneath that yeah. mighty paw. What well, yeah, what's interesting to me is that uh the the, the so when it, dealing with the Slayer of Kings, when Archaon finally gets it out from under his paw, it starts to scream. Um, like which funny enough, it never does this again ever in the lore, even though it should on a regular basis. But supposedly the Slayer of Kings, when it realizes that it's being wielded by someone and it has not been fed, it screams. Yeah, it it basically does a Stormbringer from Michael Moorcork because it's it's basically what the sword's based on. Um, if you know your Michael Moorcork stuff, uh, one gigantic demon blade that's designed 
to both destroy the world and take it all down and destroy the whole balance of it, all things. And that's effectively the same blade. And whoever wrote that section was like, yeah, that's clearly what I'm going to make it do. Never happens again. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, realistically, it should do it every single time Archeon has yeah. gone too long it, without stabbing someone. Rules for souls, but nope, they don't do that. God yeah. damn it. Which I do like. Like, I mean, it has a bloodthirster, and it makes sense he would be screaming for blood uh, totally. on a regular basis. But uh, anyway, so when Archeon draws it, it starts to scream, and the screaming almost wakes Kraken Rock up. And Archeon stabs Prince Ograx the Great in the chest with it to uh, make it shut up. But um, what's really interesting about that is it, it implies two possible scenarios in my mind, which is that A, Vandal came to Kraken Rock for some reason, maybe to try and kill him, maybe to try and wake him up. It uh, seems to make sense to me. Um, if you're looking for trying to do an enormous deed to become the Everchosen, the idea that it might be somehow tied to the awakening of Kraken Rock makes sense because that creature will not wake up until the end yeah yeah a part of me so wonders we've got if, a really good reason for trying to wake him up yeah I, a part of me wonders if so we don't know what happened with vandal but um an idea that comes to my head that i think would be a compelling story is that vandal attacks somewhere i doubt he would have attacked the empire he probably would have attacked somewhere else uh to make life a little more interesting maybe attack cathay maybe attack nagaroth who knows but he attacks somewhere and he loses what would make a really interesting story to me is if he loses but survived and then in a desperate ploy to try and force the end times to happen, to force victory, he goes to try and wake Kraken Rock up. Yeah, and, I think that, that fits perfectly. Yeah, and he holds up Slayer of Kings. It starts to scream. And unfortunately for him, Kraken Rock does the equivalent of hitting snooze on the alarm. <laughs> or he just goes, squish. <laughs> and Vandal just dies. <laughs> Which is yeah, do it. very I mean, I goofy, but I really nicely. like it. <clears throat> I'm, I'm also going to add that I think that we definitely have um, a potential future stream on the ever chosen and the whole concept of the ever chosen, mm -hmm. how to the ever chosen lore makes sense because the Morkar imposition has broken it um, to a lesser degree. It hasn't broken it properly. There's lots of ways you can get around it if you wish to do so and make all stories work. A simple one Nagash brought back the corpse of Morkar and Sigmar fought it. There we go job done yeah or um, you, there's, or you there's just things like, you can do i mean that's dark, a weak ass yeah, version the, the dark gods stuff. resurrect more car and throw them at sigmar cool yeah i mean <laughs> could have done something crazy to throw yeah. them at sigmar first um and we can possibly have another ever chosen at a different part of the world doing something completely different and that works relatively well because it's good to have a long time to fit in our 13 ever chosen before you know, I, I, yeah, I 100% agree with that. Well, you know, and one yeah. thing they could do, if they want to be really cheeky, they could say there's another more card <laughs> that, like, there's two different they could. ones. Um, um, I mean, it would be one way of doing it, although they do refer to more cars, the first ever chosen killed by, yeah, Sigmar. I know, but like, if they wanted, if they wanted to cheese it, yeah. they could. Um, yeah, they could. It's a, it's a bit, it's a touch broken, but I definitely think there's a good stream there because the ever chosen oh, yeah, as a concept is a, a super fascinating um, thing. So anyway, other, Dragon Ogre, sorry, yeah, I'm getting caught yeah, up by ever chosen. Although I, I will always go with the Vandal gets crushed theory because I think there's something really, A, it's amusing, <laughs> but B, there's also an interesting story there. 
um i could see the dark gods laughing so hard at him trying to force yeah. it and them being like ah no that's not how it works but i uh, mean and, and the dark gods laugh as it's um uh because i i can't help myself but do this um and the dark gods laugh is a line that 40k picked up um repeatedly and drops in as one of its little thoughts a day again lifted from michael moorcock it's the finishing lines to one of his short stories there you go. Um, there you go. Um, I don't know why, but today's Michael Workout. <laughs> Man, always gotta appreciate like Skaven because they're like the only thing Games Workshop did originally. <laughs> I adore the Skaven yeah. to a degree because um, of that. The other thing that's interesting about um Kraken Rock is that when he's found and we get a physical description of him, his body looks like a battlefield, and that there's like an a just insane assortment of weapons lodged into his scales all over his body where when uh Archeon and them are climbing the mountain they almost think it's like a they almost think it's like a mount like a shrine or a battlefield um like an entire battlefield in and of itself because there are so many weapons in his flesh um uh, that clearly didn't hurt him they're just there um but a part of me wonders is the idea because i i feel like the author almost tried to imply the idea that he was fighting and like all these weapons are in him and he just never cared but a part of me almost likes the idea. I wonder if it like, like a chaos warrior or just a, a challenge of the idea of like, you got to go scale this big mountain and you leave a weapon embedded in this mountain, knowing that I mean, like, it, it's knowing all in the realms of supposition, but that's the sort of stuff that uh, the weird myths that arise, arise around the ever chosen. Um, it's exactly the sort of things it do, you know, the battle at the top of the world, so to speak. Mm. Um, that's been kicking around inside Games Workshop's lore for chaos um, to prove yourself worthy before the dark gods and to receive their blessings. And it requires certain things to happen at the top of the world. It's laced through the original novels. Kim Newman picks up that in um, more than one case for the Mecklenburg line and um, the young von Mecklenburg boy who's who's literally one of the people fighting at the top of the world. Um, and it's something that's been sort of laced through in one fashion or another through uh, different versions of chaos and how it's been presented. So attaching that to what was the later ever-chosen lore makes sense. And I think that having something that ties into that also makes sense. And it also, in terms of the dragon ogres, it strongly ties the dragon ogres to um, the ever chosen, which means strongly ties the dragon ogres to the end of the world, which makes sense given the very nature of the pact that they have with the dark gods themselves. The fact that there is potentially a focus for um, everything that is involved with the end times um, upon the dragon ogres makes sense in the same way that there's a focus with good old Bellacor through to the crowning of the ever chosen. Mm. It's all wrapped up in similar stories and myths. And I think that um, if I were to be creating, um, let's say, the path for all 13 ever chosen, I would strongly tie in um, not necessarily the Dragon Ogres, but definitely good old Captain Dragon Ogre the Black right at the very top, because that makes sense. It fits the hmm. lore, it fits the myths, and it also justifies the fact that this ancient creature, 10,000 years old since it was last awake, it's not 10,000 years old, 10,000 years old since it was last awake, and let's be honest, probably napped a few times before that, it's possibly already hundreds of thousands of years old. Yeah, there's a actually... A really um... ancient entity. By 
far the oldest thing that the Warhammer world probably has to offer in terms of its very many ancient things. Yeah. There is probably nothing older. And tying that through to the end times and directly to the Ever Chosen makes sense. Yeah, I... um. The, the first thing is that one of the things that you just said that I actually really like the idea of is that like Archeon has this whole quest he goes through to become Archeon where like the entity Archeon is preordained uh, by like Bellacor's prophecy or Necrodomo's prophecy that Bellacor made him write down. But um, one of the things that's interesting to me is the idea that Krakenrock being covered in weapons, like a part of me thinks, oh, well, maybe it's like a cultural thing where to prove your valor, or whatever, you have to climb up this mountain that is Krakenrock and leave a weapon embodied. Um, in him and that's like some kind of passage of becoming a warlord or a champion or whatever but the other part of me thinks what if what if there's a secret ritual about becoming ever chosen where the weapon you will wield as an ever chosen you get from kraken rock you scale him yeah. and you find a weapon and you take it and that is your weapon as an ever chosen and to a degree i like that a lot um, because it's something that the dark gods themselves can to a degree influence. Um, for all we like to discuss the gods as being these external entities in the Warhammer world that don't have direct influence, we know for a fact that the chaos gods are constantly impinging upon the real world as much as they possibly can. Mm. And the idea that uh, climbing up here and one of the weapons being marked out by the dark gods to show that you are coming out down as ever chosen works really well with that particularly because so many will have attempted that climb and failed it will be littered with all sorts of things there'll be battles that have been fought across this as kraken rock sits beneath and sleeps um it's a perfect place for this the the battlefield at the top of the world it's perfect i i really like it um mm. works really nicely yeah um but uh yeah pretty much with that i think that's pretty much everything I can really think yeah, of as far covered, as covering um, dragon ogres. We've covered their origins. We've covered that they oh, warred with... Um, as far as their origins, there's a really funny thing I did want to bring up in that in uh -huh. the second edition bestiary, um, there's a hilarious quote that to me, just it just screams propaganda. Um, but there is a <laughs> there's a zinch sorcerer who's talking about a dragon ogre Shaggeth who he had as a mentor, which is actually a really interesting facet of that. Um, also, a thing worth noting that I don't think we've really touched on is dragon ogres are super fucking intelligent. They are not yeah. dumb beasts. They are, they're fucking philosophers, literally. Yep. Um, like they are super fucking smart. But in any event, um, this Sagean sorcerer is talking about his mentor who was a Shaggoth. And he talks about that the Shaggoth told him that Kraken Rock the Black is like unfathomably ancient, which I totally check out. That he was around for thousands and thousands of years before the old ones even showed up. That totally checks out. But the part that makes me laugh is he says, yeah. I was told that Kraken Rock was literally the first creature that crawled from the primordial soup of the world. And it's like, okay, <laughs> let's maybe let's maybe dial it down a little there. I don't think <laughs> I, I can believe Kraken Rock probably said that, but I somehow doubt that's actually true. It's just a yeah, funny quote. Dragon Ogres might have said that the, the very first entity ever was us. Oh yeah, we rock. Yeah, um, yeah, it literally says that like the dragon ogres predate the dragons, and it's like that feels like propaganda big time. <laughs> actually, it wouldn't surprise me if they do predate the dragons. Um, mm. that wouldn't be in terms of the overall lore a great surprise. Um, so yeah, I think I agree that we've covered the majority. So let's do a quick sum, at least from my side. Um, in the beginning, there were dragon ogres, and these dragon ogres lived in an icy, 
horrible wasteland of a planet as we judge these things. And eventually these dragon ogres fall into a mighty war with the dragons. This is a war that they do not fare well in in the long term. The old ones come. And when the old ones come, they move the world and they move it from being an icy hellhole into the Warhammer world that we all know and love today. This is not an environment that suits the dragon ogres as well as they had before. And it's quite clear that probably the end that the dragon ogres fear now almost certainly is going to come to pass. They become so desperate that they reach out to the chaos powers or the chaos powers reach out to them, depending on which way it originally hmm. occurred. And 10,000 years ago, from the point when the world ended, a deal was made between the Chaos Gods and the Dragon Ogres. This was not a deal, a pact where they sold their souls off towards Chaos and said, we are yours forever. Actually, it was much more like a deal between peers. You could almost see the Dragon Ogres as so old, so ancient, and so powerful that the Chaos Gods themselves needed their help. And they... The Chaos Gods wanted to end the world. That was their plan. That is what they wanted to do for whatever reason they had. They agreed to this particular pact. The Dragon Ogres are now changed. They become something new. And approximately a thousand to two thousand years later, that plan starts with the Cataclysm. It takes ages. This is not something that happens immediately because we know the date of the cataclysm and it wasn't 10,000 years ago. Yeah, It's a massive plus. Now, it might have been 10,000 years ago because I will just add a little small aside that it's possible that this deal happened at the beginning of the cataclysm and all the dating is a bit wrong. And that's very possible given how long ago it was. But given by the dates that we have in the most recent army lists, the deal was made long before the cataclysm begun. The cataclysm occurs, the dragon ogres fight on the side of chaos, and the dragon ogres uh, will continue to return to be the great whetstone, if we will, for the chaos forces, in that they stand as a challenge to be beaten and uh, will hone the forces of chaos to eventually wipe out the real world. They also arrive with each ever chosen and agree to fight under certain circumstances because there's a deal. And they do certain things as each ever chosen makes its attempt to end their world. They don't succeed 12 times. They do succeed on the 13th. And on the 13th time, all the dragon ogres awaken. Every single last one of the motherfuckers across the world, lightning crashes, blackened skies, full of lightning, and Azir and all the rest of it, as dragon ogres, indeed, according to one legend, even the dead dragon ogres, return, the world is ended, and boom, the deal comes to an end. And the dragon ogres are now free to be their own thing. And apparently, they pop off to the realm of Azir and have a happy old time there until fucking Sigmar comes along and screws with their shit. Screw that guy. So there's, there's one way to summarize all of that. Do we feel that there's anything extra to add to that one? Uh, the only thing else that I would... Uh... Uh, that i would add that i think is a lot of fun is the, the just keeping in mind for anyone that's listening the the dreaming concept of that they have these oh. alternate worlds that they're in that they dream that's good one, yeah, and yeah. supposedly like these dreams are consistent enough that when they go back to sleep they return to that same place so there's almost a real interesting question there of is it a dream or is yeah. it something more after um, all to us, warhammer is nothing more than a big made-up world yeah so uh Perhaps the dragon ogres are us yeah <laughs> <laughs> the dragon ogres are games workshop everything makes sense now 
<laughs> but uh, no wonder they rushed the end times out. They're like, finally, we can get this over with. <laughs> so do we have ourselves some questions? This uh, week? Yes, we do. Uh, so the first question we have here is uh, blah, 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 uh, from Infiltrator of Troy. I think it is to the God- Chaos God's benefit that they have a reproducing race in the Beastmen. And I think they also have that relationship with the Famir and Hashin has the relationship with the Chaos Dwarves. So why did the Chaos Gods sterilize the Dragon Ogres? Did the Chaos Gods gain anything from sterilizing the Dragon Ogres or were they just being self-destructive as Chaos sometimes is? That's uh, that's a good question. Um, there is a quote in the second edition bestiary by one of the uh, by one of the Dragon Ogres, I believe, where the Dragon Ogre posits that Zinch seems to blame Zinch in particular for the sterilization and posits the idea that Zinch found the idea quite literally amusing, um, that they traded one form of immortality for another. Um, Because you have to remember that the Dark Gods are crazy, like they're mad. They're not necessarily... I, I, a trap that sometimes I find people fall into when they ask questions about chaos is they try and rationalize why chaos does what chaos does. Chaos don't play that way. Um, the dark gods are, they are not mortals. They have no concept of mortality or like anything else. And they often will do things that screw themselves. Um, and you could argue, Oh, it's part of a greater plan, but I really think that gives them too much credit. Um, a, a lot of time they're just really batshit crazy. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to not only reinforce that particular belief, I'm going to drill down on it hard. The Chaos Gods are their own worst enemies, particularly Zinch, an entity that may not even be, as we understand it, a god. It could just be a fragmented lattice work of a thousand broken billion minds all acting and interacting in different ways, perhaps in some degrees best manifested by the trickster. Uh, a, a demon that is both working for and against whatever particular great deed is going down on the day the idea that there would have been a trick put in place by zinch is not just consistent it makes sense it's the way that god works it fucks about with things all the time often to its own detriment so i'm well up for that i'm well up for the idea that uh zinch would have purposefully looked at what is let's just say that we had ourselves a nice little contract or a piece of paper and he looked at it and he went immortality eh well there's more than one way to do that yeah (laughs) and it's not so much that there was a conscious mind there going i'm going to screw with this that requires generally some sort of manifestation in the mortal realm which has a conscious thought it's almost the exact opposite the very nature of the way it's been worded causes it to fuck up because of the very nature of the god that lies behind it. It's almost like the dragon ogres didn't so much make a deal with chaos, as in that they made a deal with what lies beyond, they tried to use it. It's almost like a spell they cast upon themselves. Mm. Almost. It's not so much it's a great deal. You could argue that they created the chaos gods, if you wish. It certainly makes sense if you look at the lore and what happened. And they fucked up. (laughs) <laughs> it, it, it was it, it, it was bad they, they were so upset they tried to blow up the world but they would survive it because they're immortal now or are they so i think that the best answer to this is stop trying to make sense of chaos because you will always fail number two stop necessarily thinking of the chaos gods as the ultimate expression of everything and realize that they were created one day as well in the warhammer world and 40k each of the four chaos powers came to about because of a an act And similarly, in the Warhammer world, 
Um, it, they all equally probably came about because of something that allowed them access to that particular realm. And at the moment, our best example of that boils down to two events only, the Dragon Ogres and the Cataclysm. That's it. We don't really have anything else. Um, so if you want to lay blame on anyone, you could blame the Chaos Gods on the Dragon Ogres if you wish. Um, I think it's much more likely something screwed up along the lines. Um, and the sterilization, assuming that it's even real, because we don't have that in the current lore. What we have hmm. is that in uh, obscure sections. We don't have female Dragon Ogres anywhere. We don't really... Strictly speaking of anything other than fathers this, fathers that. They may never have had any. They may naturally lay eggs. There may be no concept of father or mother. They may be genderless. We don't actually know. And whoever eventually drills down on that will almost certainly go for a gender binary because they just they won't think of anything else because most writers don't. So I think the answer <laughs> is... Big titty dragon ogres. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, they, uh, if, if we can't put a big titty dragon with a bikini, why are we even making models? Uh, yeah, right. um, yeah, quite. So I, I think the answer is we can't answer that definitively because we don't really know the state of affairs with the sterility. We don't know the state of affairs with the creation of the Chaos Gods, with the deal that was made with the dragon ogres. There's so many what-ifs in there that we're left with. Meh. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we got a super yeah. chat. Hey, so I noticed that one come in. Thanks very much. You rock. Thanks for the stream. As always, well worth it. How do ogres and dragon ogres view each other? Oh my God. Ogre? The ogres. What? I can't believe we didn't even mention this. Yeah, we I have to totally go forward, forgot about the ogres. Yeah, totally uh, forgot. I mean, this is something we should have brought okay, up. So, Probably the yeah. best way to eat a dragon ogre. Hot sauce. Oh, defo. Yeah, okay. Uh, we actually need to talk about that because the dragon ogres and the ogres actually hate the fuck out of each other. Do not like. Um, there's actually a whole segment in the Ogre Kingdoms army books dedicated to the Dragon Ogres, which is that when the Ogre Kingdoms initially got pushed out of their ancestral lands because Great Maw happened, um, they went into the ancient giant lands and eventually the Mountains of Morn. And in the mountains, they found out the mountains were already occupied by the Dragon Ogres. And the two of and them... Others. Yeah, and others. But the yeah. Dragon Ogres seem to be one of the predominant uh, species. Uh, next to like the sky titans and the dragon ogres and the ogres had these fucking colossal fights the yep. second they laid eyes on each other they were like fuck that guy i'm gonna kill him and eat him and it got ugly like like even by the standards of chaos and ogres the war was considered ugly um, because you had shaggots waking up and all of these big storms and the ogres outnumbered them but, which is shocking. The, funny enough, the ogres are such a horde army considering how big they are. Yeah, but um, they are. They they won the war and they pushed the dragon ogres out. Um, but there is a bitter, bitter relationship there. I would say even more bitter than the modern dragon ogres and the dragons have. Um, I, I would argue though that um, <laughs> the bitterness is probably one way because for the vast majority of the ogres, it will be outside living memory. Mm. Um, and the ogres are not exactly known for their great historical records um, and they do an awful lot of oral telling of tales so there's going to be an uh, there's going to be a memory of it and but it's not going to carry the same weight of bitterness that will lie on the other side because if we are speaking about a species that has a finite number there will have been deaths and big deaths and this will be something that will upset not just the dragon ogres but those whom the dragon ogres have a deal with 
And who can say what the nature of that deal is? Because it may require more from the dragon ogres because of what happens if there's fewer of them. It's uh, it's potentially one of the biggest events for their entire species in terms of the impact that it has. But we have so little lore in place to drill down on here that you are either left in the place of making it up for the, your own stories at your own tables if you're playing role-playing mm -hmm. games or battle games and you want to build it in a fun way or just waiting for someone to one day come along and write an incre in incredibly <laughs> cool little bit of text that'll sit in there and go holy shit that's amazing now i'm not saying i don't have confidence that'll happen but i generally don't have confidence for that yeah. ha that'll happen because the dragon ogres are such a small species in the greater story of warhammer that they're often sidelined and forgotten yeah so I, thanks for that question because yeah. you brought up something really important i think what andy says also really important to keep in mind that's fascinating about from the dragon ogre perspective is that for the dragon ogres that was probably one of the greatest tragedies or catastrophes for their race in like Therefore. like all the way back to the deal because like andy said there's a very limited number of them and they lost a lot in that fight um which is interesting like that like those mountain ranges seem to be kind of ideal for them like they're some of the largest mountain ranges in the world um, probably are the biggest yeah um and yeah. and they had been there for ever yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah uh there is there is a fascinating relationship there also the idea of what did the what did the old ones make the ogres from um there's also a really well, interesting idea there of like is there, like that there's probably the more of a relationship between the dragon ogres and the ogres that may come to mind a part of me wonders if because of the deal between the dragon ogres and the ogres or the dragon ogres and the chaos gods that's i wonder if one of the old ones that made the ogres if that might explain their resistance to chaos um if an old one we don't know how the old ones do what they do um i like that yeah but what i'll say <laughs> is, I, I could tell you two facts about the old ones that are or uh, one very big fact about the old ones that is the most important thing about them that a lot of people don't realize is that they did not create any of the races from nothing the old ones mm -hmm. from everything we've ever seen they could not create life they could manipulate life down to like a genetic level and they were able to change entities into something else but like the lizardmen, there was a species they evolved into the lizardmen. Same thing for the elves, the humans, and but the ogres and the dragon ogres. I think there is an undeniable relationship there, and I quite like that. Yeah, um, and if anything, it would drive a certain level of hatred towards them even further because um, it it's a bastardization of their species. Yeah, I quite like that. Um, um, yeah. Okay, particularly as well, because the dragon ogres and the dragons are repeatedly stated as being cousins in that they are similar. Um, they are species-wise very similar. Mm. One can fly, the other cannot. One has certain levels of powers, the other has other different types of powers. The, the great manifestation of the dragons as we understand them with good old Azir boy is pretty much useless against these creatures that feed off Azir. There's a whole host of fun things that lie between them. Um, but the idea that potentially the ogres were drafted out of the dragon ogre genetic material is, I think, fascinating, particularly given the old one's fascination with, broadly speaking, creating two-legged creatures. Yeah. There's well, definitely something in there. Yeah, I can, and I... I also, build a nice story. I love the idea of some crackpot methodicted old one over in the ogre lands 
like taking a species that according to the, what the lore we had had already forged a bond with the dark gods thousands of yeah. years prior and the old one goes i bet i can fuck with I can that, use that. <laughs> yeah uh which is yeah i definitely think there's something in that anyway song of power let's get to your question do dragon ogres have special related powers to storms like colic and the tempest could dragon ogres have powers related to eruptions or tsunamis do you want to jump on that one? Uh, I will say, do they have special powers related to storms? Yes, 100%, absolutely. Um, like, Colex Senator literally has an eternal storm following him, and he is probably not the... And the thing is, the Dark Gods literally send lightning to them to wake them up, um, and it's likely it follows them a lot of the time. Um, so if you were to fight them on a battlefield, the odds that there would not be a thunderstorm, I feel like, is virtually impossible um like it's not usually directly stating the rules which is dumb age of sigmar has fixed that problem um but like anytime you ever see them show up in the lore there's always a storm um and they're probably gonna get hit by lightning during the fight uh because it just ramps it up but i i would say that they are you could see them as entities of the storm um i think a lot of like older more primitive religions would see them as avatars of storms or elementals of storms, which they're not, they're flesh and blood, but they have an undeniable connection there. And uh, I, I don't think you would ever see them without a tempest. Now, as far as like eruptions and tsunamis, that's a really kick-ass idea. I think if a Shagath is big enough, they will cause natural disasters. Um, like if Colex Sun Eater was coming out of the mountains, do I think mountains would start erupting? Oh yeah. Um, I mean, at its very least, if Kolek decided that he wanted to have himself a, a bath and just jumped into the ocean, yeah, that, that is a tsunami. <laughs> I mean, that, 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 that's happening. Um, so, uh, on my side, I broadly agree. Uh, do they have um, a special related powers to storms? I think, as a species, the answer is not strictly speaking yes, but yes. Um, yep. And you would want to, whenever you were creating new rules or you were building new characters for them, to drill down on that unique aspect of them and how you could re-manifest that in fun and interesting ways. To add extra powers from, say, eruptions, tsunamis, and other things, in many respects, you're diluting and watering down what makes the species unique and interesting and fascinating. So from the perspective of, would we build it in those directions? Probably not. It's also worth noting that right from the very beginning, uh, the dragon ogres were directly associated with lightning and lightning coming from the chaos gods. The very first descriptions of the great storms coming in in the depths of winter and the dragon ogres awakening and depending upon just how dark that storm was, just how violent mm. depends on how old the dragon ogres that awoke would be. And if it's a truly, truly massive storm, many of them would awaken and they would fight each other because they would fight each other to be the ones that represented the chaos gods. Now, I'm not saying that they were dying, but they were definitely warring with each other. And they'd go up, and the one that did best is the one that would be struck directly by the chaos gods. So even if we're not necessarily giving the ogres themselves a great deal, no, dragon ogres, pardon me, a great deal of lightning powers, the chaos gods do. And I think that's... Yeah fascinating because the chaos gods are following their actions and they are purposely trying to get the best of them to do something on their behalf and that i think is a fascinating thing about the species as a whole hey, yeah hammond heaven <laughs> that's rude purple <laughs> burble, burble, burble. no I'm, I'm i may be scottish but i can't speak purple so there you go purple burglar alarm i have no problems i'm not from <laughs> glasgow 
Um, so yeah, yes, purple, um, burglar. And, yeah, that does also opening the interesting <laughs> idea that is is not explored in the lore, but it is a fun thought I, experiment I, I, of does the relationship with dragon ogres and lightning predate the chaos pact? Like, is that mm. just a natural thing for them, or did the chaos gods make the lightning make them strong as so, their own thing? Uh, I don't have an answer to that or a particularly strong theory, but I will say we, we have other lore that starts offering answers for us. If we take a look at the dragons, the Cathayan dragons in particular, mm -hmm. we know that um, our good old Emperor Cathayan dragon of all awesomeness is strongly associated with Azir. Strongly associated yeah. with Azir. Now, is that because Azir ex predated and exist existed before the arrival of the old ones? Um, the answer appears to be probably now does that mean that we have ourselves a variety of power that may or may not have existed in the warhammer world beforehand the geomantic web, really like okay that. and exactly how that works um what is the energies that were there at the beginning um now if we look at age of sigmar age of sigmar suggests that the great eight winds of magic are are deeper they are much more important than the world in which they were found. They are a part of reality itself. <laughs> yeah, they're literally like universal foundational forces. Indeed. And if that's the case, these universal foundational forces probably existed beforehand, which means that Ooh. the dragon ogres are strongly associated with Azir, as is the, the, the father of the Cathayan dragons, at least. So we've got lots of interconnected lore there which is worth looking at but we can't answer any of it definitively what we can do is speculate theorize and slowly but surely pluck at different strings and note that they all have a similar note that they all sound similar yeah you know what something that just occurred to me that's kind of interesting as you were talking about that of that yeah, yeah, yeah. the dragon ogres being a nat natural creatures of azir and all this which mm -hmm. I, I like and i think there's a lot of strength to that theory it just occurred to me, and this ties into what we were talking about earlier with the old ones using the dragon ogres to make the ogres. I have never heard of a dragon ogre with mutations. Um, they existed in the original lore in uh, that your dragon ogre champions were fully capable of being mutated um, and further. Having said that, though, in exactly the same lore, so was the elves. Um, and as we know yeah. now, elves are immutable. They cannot in mutate. The in the um, sixth edition piece of chaos book they could take marks but they could yeah. not have mutations yeah which quite is super so, interesting. Um, i think it's interesting because i think that if the uh if the situation was examined again i think that they would not mutate and i think they would not mutate because they themselves have a deal with chaos to for chaos to leave them the fuck alone yeah. You do not mess with my shit. I like that so much. Oh yeah. my god! And I think that would almost certainly be the case. Um, I, if I was writing it today, and I and I went down, that's definitely what I would write. In the same way that when um we were writing fourth edition, uh, Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, we made it very clear that elves do not mutate, but they can take mental mutations, as in chaos mm -hmm. and the effects of dar and dark magic upon them can make a difference but they will not be physically mutating at all their bodies are unmarred and in a similar fashion i'd probably do the same with the dragon ogres it makes sense uh god i man the, there's a yeah, lot of I, things that i've we've kind of like accidentally stumbled to during into this string that i'm like oh i really like that <laughs> yeah me too <laughs> um all right, so back to question. Because in my game, I've I've already introduced sort of one of them, you, and it's, it's making curious. me 
Does it have uh, a what name? I introduced in that particular episode, and I know exactly what it is. I'm now thinking of perhaps tweaking it in a couple of ways that I wasn't originally considering. As yeah. as a little taste, as a little taste for the chat, does it have a name that you could share? I am not sharing that name because it confirms things. Oh, okay, fair, fair. But chat, you should go watch Lyhammer. There's a dragon ogre shaggy. It's, it's a <laughs> yeah, long dragon right. too. It's and it the reveal is so good. It is so good. I enjoyed that one. Um, like it is a it is a butt clenching scene. Like legit, <laughs> it's scary as shit. Because there's a character being really fucking stupid. And you're going stop, 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 stop. <laughs> the whole time. Just don't. <laughs> yeah. Um, scythe petals. Are there any notable characters that fought a dragon ogre and how did the fight go? Yeah, Sigmar. Uh, we talked about him. Yeah, uh, Gotrek fought so, fights. As I recall. This is running off the top of my head. Malekith um, and a bunch of elves face off against the Shagoth as well yep. in one of the novels. But I read that so ago. I, yeah, yeah, I yeah. Ma uh, Malekith fights one, I think, in Gafthorpe's Sundering trilogy. Is it the Sundering? There we go. Yep. Um, I did read it a while ago. Um, good old Gav. Watch the stream that I had with Gav yesterday over on the Rookery. I've done it. Yes, again. yes. Go watch that stream. I'm, I'm going to be doing that. In fact, I should go and get myself um, uh, while you're looking at the next question. Yeah, go get, get the link. link. So I go post get it for link. everyone. Um... <laughs> But uh, there's also, uh, yeah, Gotrek fights a dragon ogre in the first part of the end times. So in Kinslayer, uh, he has a, it's kind of the boss fight. Because like his fight with Throg is also kind of a boss fight, but there's a little more talking because it's Throg. But um, the, the dragon ogre, it's just like your usual epic, ridiculous, over-the-top badass fight. Um, so uh, I think those are the only ones that really jump to memory uh Cetra yeah, fights one of the are times. um uh, I, i'm going back through when they were sort of given a bit more strength when the new models came out for them during the sixth edition i think that's when the new models hit i want to say no, 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 they, got, they, got, they got new models for the chaos book all the way back when they Sick. did the chaos box set yeah they, they got um they got minis in sixth edition then they that was it yeah, their, their minis and, are and then they, you got Shagath model, which looked quite different. And also, I, I was rather pleased to know it looked different from the ogres. They made them look more like they were unique creatures. Yeah, um, the dragon ogre models that came out at that time um, as a replacement for the old ones, if anything, looked more ogre than the previous ones, and they were all a bit limmy and a bit weird looking. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I, 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 I will say I actually really like the. Um... Oh, can a dragon ogre be a caster? Glad like the Dracos fact. Uh, so in fantasy, no, but in ancient Sigmar, no. yes. Uh, yeah, I think the answer to that is, um, and they didn't want to make them too powerful because their stats were so fucking rock hard. Um, that to make them magic users as well would have made them uh ridiculously limiting in points. Um, because most of the spellcasters in the earlier versions of Warhammer cost an enormous amount of points and yeah. for good reasons. And when you add that to a character who's already ridiculously hard, and also add that to the fact that earlier editions of the Warhammer battle game allowed you to have more magic items if you were a caster, um, you would have ended up with dragon ogres that were effectively unkillable, and that would have sucked. So, in terms of the Warhammer game, the answer is no but i think in terms of the warhammer background the answer is almost certainly yes yeah keep in mind dragons that are old and powerful enough can be <laughs> wizards so dragon ogres it's the exact same thing and an age of sigmar but not a single dragon in the rules could yeah, yeah. uh and but uh, you go yeah, back until warhammer the uh, yeah until the storm of magic and monstrous arcanum and then later on yeah totally yeah uh but i will say in age of sigmar they are explicit uh, dragon ogre shaggots all of them are explicitly wizards uh they wield the lore of thunder it is a hilarious lore of magic because they're just throwing lightning everywhere they're hitting their friends with lightning they're hitting you with lightning it's a really fun lore 
Raging Pacifist, do you guys think Dragon Ogres could be their own faction in Total War? If so, what would that look like? No, not enough variety. Not nearly nope. enough. To, to have a faction in Total War, you need at minimum, in my opinion, like 10 units worth of variety. And there's you just can't do that with Dragon Ogres. Right. So could I design that much variety? Yes. Would I want to? No. And the primary reason is that the species is already, to a degree, strongly crafted to be something that is special and relatively unique. You don't get fucking hundreds of thousands of them all over the place. You get maybe one large unit in that set. So something that perhaps supplements a chaos force, but definitely not something that is by itself a force attempting to take over the world. It just feels like that would be a step too far as much as it would be kind of yeah, the fact that they got a faction focus because they have Colex Sunder as a legendary lord and he's all about dragon ogres, I think that is great. Like that they, yeah, they I, didn't marvelous. necessarily um, need that, but it's I good. Colex fucking cool. Yeah, he he's so busted in that game. Um, I love how stupid overpowered he is. But um anyway, so um oh my gosh. Uh oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah, Lore of Lightning. We already covered that. Uh, super fun. Yes, I, actually, I love the Dragon Ogres and Age of Sigmar. They're super fun. Uh, whenever I play Beasts of Chaos, I always run a Shaggoth as my general um all right uh side pedals would a dragon ogre make a good vermintide 2 monster boss or are they too big a regular dragon ogre would make an excellent vermintide baddie a shaggy yeah. would probably be too big yeah i mean you tend to find that um if you look at just the models most of the shaggoth models are crap they're tidy yeah <laughs> um they're, 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 the shaggoth yeah. models it was, it was a limitation of the time it's only about this big. It's yeah. actually ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, totally. I mean, uh, if you get a Shaggoth that's meant to be a, a decent Shaggoth size, this thing's meant to be able to at least peer over a wall. Yeah, but that when, thing couldn't. When and so, if we get new Shaggoth models, I would say they're probably going to be as big as the uh, Mega Gargants or Kragnos. Like, they're going to be... Yeah, that would be amazing. Um, I, I, I fear that'll never be the case. Um, I would love that. That'd be amazeballs. Do dragons um, have an afterlife? Uh, they do not seem to. Uh, to them, and they seem actually very comfortable with that. Yeah, the dragon ogres have got no clear um, description of having, for example, any faith, any gods outside of the chaos gods and the deal that they've made um, with those. They've got no description of their culture beyond the fact that they sleep and they wake up and they fight. Um, so there's a great lacking um, of any official information that provide us with an answer there. So I think that the answer is probably as we stand, no. And indeed, the closest we'd have is going back to the second edition history and suggesting that perhaps they've got views of the dreaming or moving into another life um, that represents their sleeping time rather than their living time. Yeah. And if I was going to be expanding upon them and trying to write something that gave them a more depth that's definitely something i'd probably lean into because it's a great idea thanks ts yeah well if you want to uh, see a fun expansion on that if you check out the warmer fantasy roleplay second edition book the chaos compendium um what the fuck is it called the tome of corruption um, tome of corruption that's the book i developed yeah really cool segment Aren't about we? how there are some norskin tribes that believe real life is just a dream and that dying in battle is how you kind of ascend from the I dream forgot that was even in there yeah uh, that actually ties directly into the dragon ogres and it suggests <laughs> there may be a relationship like the dragon ogres may have inspired some elements of norskin religion but the dragon ogres may view the same situation that dying yeah, in battle like that. is waking up from the dream yep like um, that anyway um do dragon ogres or do dragons and or ogres take offense at the naming of the dragon ogres or vice versa? Right. So first, um, I think the 
the first step to look at this is um, the language that we're using to view this through is English. The language that is being used inside the Warhammer world and its various stripes across the planet is not. And as we've already noted previous in the stream, there are some languages out there, Greek, for example, that combine those two words and it's just a single world, a word. And you're going to find that that's exactly the same. The dragon ogres have got their own name for themselves. Um, and it's neither dragon nor ogre. Dragon ogre appears to be a portmanteau that was put together by external people naming them from the outside. So they don't deem themselves to be dragon ogres per se. So I think the answer would be, no, no more annoyed than they be about anything. I've got to remember that their view of other mortals is that they are less significant than the mold on their boots. Um, they they mean nothing to them. Slaying mortal other mortals around is like slaying the grass, cutting it down yeah. with a mower. It means nothing to them. Their feelings, their thoughts, their concerns are so far beyond the dragon ogres that they just don't even consider them. They're just beyond anything they consider. So I yeah. think the answer would be they don't care. Yeah, Total War simplifies it just to try and make everyone's life easier. But like they wouldn't call themselves dragon ogres. Uh, like Andy said earlier, they have plenty of other names for themselves and probably their own language, to be frank. Um, it's Sharkath. They call yeah. themselves the Sharkath. Yeah, and they would like if you call them a dragon ogre, they probably wouldn't even realize you were talking about them. Yeah. Um, so, Mr. Pig there, a fun twist on that is if they could view death as the endless sleep. I don't think that's necessarily um, a bad idea. And by that, I would um, uh, bring up the the old, almost, I mean, it's almost Mark Twain-esque thing, where does he fear what lies beyond death? And he's like, no, because most uh, most of existence, I knew nothing. And he, <laughs> he's got no quotation about it, because he didn't, because he's only had a very short period of life. And why be afraid of what lies beyond? And to them, perhaps it is nothing more than the great dream, perhaps, they awoke out of their dream into life. Who's to say that there was ever a birthing of a dragon ogre? We've got no proof of that. We've got no clutch of eggs. They may have just arrived fully formed on the ancient Warhammer world, formed out of magic itself as they woke up for the first time and looked around a bit confused. So the first dragon ogres may have been born of nothing, um, just asleep, a great dream that arrives in this place and they go, what the hell is this cold and weirdness and lightning? This is strange. I'd rather go back to sleep, thanks. Back to my old dream. Uh, so the Durthus, answer is, I think that works well. Yeah, Durthu's man servant also did a bit. Uh, I missed that. I apologize. There it is. Uh, it's a super Robert, quick one. What do I think of Colex start position Total War Warhammer 3? Uh, Andy doesn't know it yet, but uh, I, I do not. like it. So he, so they put him just, uh, I don't know if you remember this tidbit, uh, but they put him just north of the Challenge Stone. So that thing that the ogres and the Warriors of Chaos are always fighting over, yep, 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 yep. which I think is a perfect place for him. It's right next to the mountains. He wakes up. He's super pissed off, and he goes and starts kicking the ass of the ogres. Great. Awesome. It's good. It's great. Big, two big thumbs up. Hey, hi, us. Have the dragon ogres crossed paths with the Zotes? I think the answer is almost certainly yes. The world's too big for that not to be the case. Um, and the Zotes, um, in their various iterations at various points, are noted as being in the forests and all over the Warhammer world at various points. So the answer is probably yes, but we have almost nothing about either of their full cultures to mm. necessarily um, state what they think. We do know that the Zotes are pretty freaking ancient as a species and probably weren't um, built by the old ones, so they may be another pre species yeah, so in the uh written in different ways at different points yeah and the most recent publications in the storm of magic uh the zotes are old one creations that are guardians of the forest oh, were they? I missed that. yeah well and so the in eighth edition they went with the whole thing of that athel lauren was created by the old ones that they planted the seeds that eventually like woke the forest up and everything and the zotes yep, were yep. their caretakers 
um, and then like wandered to all the other forests of the world. So have they encountered each other? Probably, probably not super crazy often because Zotes hang out in the deep forest and there's not a lot of them from what we know. They seem very, very rare. Um, oh, interesting. With that, with that creation, you would argue that they would make um, a better adaption from Dragon Ogres. Yeah, uh, but I will say they do look kind of similar. Um, yeah. They seem like they are adjacent species, um, no. um, which I think would be a reasonable argument. Uh, I would be shocked if they've never run into each other. They probably yeah, have. They're ancient, and they're like creatures like that are going to run into each other and fight because it's cool. Hammond brings up to quote Spy Kids. Do you think the old ones don't come back down because they're afraid of what they created? Unrelated. Just wanted to say it. <laughs> you know, there is the whole theory that they didn't actually die with the cataclysm. They just left. Yep. Just there's that out. theory. There's also a theory that they became something new. Yeah, that too. Uh, but yeah, yep. like we nobody knows. Could because yep. like there's the whole thing of like supposedly they had an entire civilization among the stars. Surely they all didn't die. <laughs> it would be a weird one. I mean, then you also have the theory that uh, the cataclysm took place literally exactly 10,000 years ago, which is when good old... I don't want to say his name. I'm going to say it wrong again. Kraken Rock. <laughs> Kraken Rock. Why can't I get that name in my head? Kraken Rock um, fell asleep for the first time after potentially um, initiating the starting of it. Um, and if you go into 40K lore, that's also 10,000 years ago, the birth of Slanesh. There's lots of <laughs> correlations between the pair of them. Could so, you... <laughs> just saying. Because um, I do oh like throwing heretical lore out there. I the idea that all Slanesh is is just a really horrible wet dream that Kraken Rock's having the entire time. <laughs> well, a, we went there. That's such a Let's terrible but hilarious idea. He just wakes up and he's like, oh my god. <laughs> that was such a weird dream. <laughs> What'd you dream about? I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a good one. Right, oh, let's uh, move on from that. Yeah. Um, obligatory Bretonia tie-in. Would defeating a dragon ogre be worthy enough challenge for a knight to receive the grail? Uh, probably, yeah. Uh, defeating yeah. a dragon ogre for a Bretonian knight would be a big fucking deal. Not, not yeah, yeah, uh, just that, a that regular dragon ogre. Not, not even a shagath. Just a regular one. Yeah. Um, yeah. Dragon Ogre is pretty fucking awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Wouldn't necessarily guarantee you the Grail. The lady works in mysterious ways. Um, there are knights who have done amazing things and she still doesn't come to them. But uh, it would definitely be a reasonable qualifier in my my book. Yep. Agreed. Um, were the Dragon Ogres the, on the old ones to be exterminated list before their deal with chaos? Um, probably. Yeah. Um, um, so that this was sort of covered in the uh, Lustrian book where they suggested that the Dragon Ogres were being hunted down and that's why the Dragon Ogres made their deal. Um, it seems, I think, very unlikely that that was necessarily the case, but I think we can definitely say that they were not part of the plan. Yeah, so uh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, let's see. When Krakenrock the Black made the, or uh, infiltrator of Troy again. When Krakenrock the Black made that immortality deal with Chaos, how much say did the other Dragon Ogres get in the deal? Because if their souls are getting sold to Chaos without them having to say, how come Chaos hasn't done that with more races? So as we talked about earlier, their souls didn't actually seem to be part of the bargain. Um, at least not all of it. And also, you have to realize how desperate they were. Um, I think for the most part, they were all aware of what was going on. Um, but also in Warhammer, there's kind of an ideology of like progenitors of races tend to have authority over their offspring um, and can make deals that pass down. We see that with an Aryan and Cain, for instance. Um, there, there is often a suggestion that the first of a lineage can make a bargain that affects everything that comes after them. 
um, which is a very tragic but interesting thing. Yeah, um, there's a, a couple of extra potential points to put there. First, um, you've got one on one hand, um, Kraken Rock is, I said it, Kraken Rock um, is the progenitor of the entire species, which suggests that Kraken Rock is that primordial slug that slipped out of the primordial soup, so to speak, and has been alive ever since, um, and is responsible for every dragon ogre ever, um, some sort of mitochondrial Eve equivalent, which is which is actually a bit weird if you consider that there was a previous species that was around, there almost certainly would be literally thousands, hundreds of thousands, potentially millions of dragon ogres kicking around. And being able to claim that they all came from one source is exceedingly unlikely. Mm -hmm. The more likely story would be that Kraken Rock would be the oldest of them. Um, so the first one is, are they all the descendants of Kraken Rock? And if the answer is yes, then that makes Kraken Rock extraordinary truly actually extraordinary being almost certainly ancient responsible for an entire species from itself we're not talking about something that has evolved over time this is a weird weird outcome if that mm -hmm. is the case um so i think that's worth saying and if that is the case kraken rock is almost certainly in the equivalent of material god level he's like some sort of equivalent to the old things that the Necrontire themselves used to worship over in 40k land. He's almost certainly different. Something yeah, we, to add up. <laughs> yeah and, and, and that adds up with the stories that we have. Or alternatively, it's one giant species. And if that is the case, and Kraken Rock's just the oldest of them, um, you basically have a couple of choices here as um, a response. One, those that didn't go with the Great Deal are now dead. Mm. So um, it's not so much that he swore on behalf of all dragon ogres. It's just that the ones that went with him are the ones that are still yeah, alive. His, his line. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. So it could be his direct line. It could be those that swore to him. So it could be a large group, a political faction that um, all swore to the dark gods and the rest of them were wiped out in the various wars or whatever other things that occurred. That would be one way of resolving it. Um, in fact, I think that's, um, a good way of providing an example of how that story could be perceived in a different way. And we'll leave it at that and say the answers are uncertain. There's lots of ways we could interpret it. Uh, Jiggy, Andy mentioned that a beastman could be an interesting incarnate of Gur, provided it was on the side of quote-unquote good. So is there any chance that a dragon ogre could have been an incarnate of Azir since they love lightning so much? I would answer no. Um, largely because um, the description that we were working from last time on the incarnates and exactly where they would land were those not tied to chaos specifically and all dragon ogres that survive are now exactly what that relationship with chaos is is a great point of debate but i would say for the model that we were building from that the incarnate for all it would make a really cool one probably wouldn't land there yeah i agree um castrata do dragon ogres procreate if so the only logical next question is where are all my dragon ogre mommies at we can call them nagoths get it because they're women and they nag oh god uh, dude, dude nope unacceptable i refuse to even answer the question pretty sure castrata is a chick anyway the answer is no <laughs> um Servant of Sin. Dragon Ogres are usually depicted as being very angry and brutish, but how wise are they? Like, if you somehow found a calm and clear-minded Dragon Ogre, how would the conversation go? Probably really interesting. Um, they are very, very wise. They're exceedingly yeah. wise. Um, they just don't really like 
the world very much. <laughs> yeah, so we've got a bit of an issue with dragon ogres because we've got dragon ogres that are obviously much younger because they're smaller. So do consider that. Um, we yeah. have an issue with procreation because of that too. And that so the idea they can't procreate makes no actual sense when you examine it. Um, it's why I always say the the myth of they can't procreate. It just doesn't make sense. There must be clutches or new ones being born somehow. Um, so they do have younger ones. <laughs> um, but even the younger ones, as they're generally presented, are seen to be uh, ancient, as far as most are concerned, wise, and quite beyond the material concerns of the other species. So it's not so much that you could have a clever conversation with them. Yes, you could. It's just that they probably have zero interest or care in doing so. Yeah. And I mean, though, there is that quote from second edition where there's a zinc sorcerer who claims he had a Shagath as yeah. a mentor for a time. Totally. So like, theoretically, yeah, sure. I mean, it, it kind of goes with like Throg, right? Like Throg, the troll king is terrifying and awful and kills people and vomits on them, whatever. But Throg sometimes gets bored. And he just happens to, if you come across him, he'll chat with you. Like, because he's got nothing better to do. There is a unlikely chance that could happen with a Shagath or a, or a Dragon Ogre. Because you have to remember most of the time they're asleep. You know, when they yeah, wake um, up, it's usually because they have been woken up for a reason. Um, so they're going to go off and fight and then go back to sleep. But if you got super fucking lucky, then yeah, you could probably chat with one. Yeah. Agreed. Crossload. Uh, yeah. But you have to remember that from their perspective, it would kind of be like having a dream and chatting with like an ant that just happens to start talking to you. Yeah. <laughs> so, and you know what? Some would, because yeah. um, to speak of the species as being this monolithic entity, as in they're all the same, is a complete nonsense. Individuals, no matter of how alien their mindsets are, are going to be occurring in a variety of different ways. So some of them will be waxing lyrical about their state of affairs, where others will be closed-lipped and not caring. Um, the the gamut of different relationships that you could have with them, which probably wide, but given the nature of their characters, um, it's probably only a very short, very small instead. I'll go for that instead. A very small number that would be interested in those sort of conversations. Yeah, what's interesting is that um, there's actually a note. I It's only in the second edition book, which just introduces a lot of really cool ideas that says that some, if not all, of the Dragon Ogres are capable of essentially astral projecting where their spirits or their consciousness is able to roam the world and see what's going on because it talks about that when the Dragon Ogres wake up, they're surprisingly knowledgeable about what's going on. Um, where like they know where they need to go they know who's fighting where and they know who the enemy is and like they they're aware of current events which obviously if they're asleep all the time doesn't make sense so it introduces the concept that maybe they're able to see things um, or have knowledge because they're able to be aware despite the fact they're asleep um, but one of the really interesting that it introduces is you could have a dragon ogre that has seen some interesting things and might recognize someone from a potential nation or something that he sees and he goes, oh, I want to talk to this person for whatever reason. Yeah, um, totally. Um, uh, if, you're, if you're looking for building some interesting characters, I think you could build a very interesting, unique Dragon Ogre character who could also speak to how the all the other Dragon Ogres are quite different to how this Dragon Ogre expresses itself. Um, I definitely think that that would work. I would also, if I was building myself... Um, some form of Dragon Ogre society, except that the models that we have, the background that we have, 
almost makes a nonsense of the fact that they can't breed. Um, there are definitely yeah. younger dragon ogres. Uh, let's see. What's the relationship between dragon ogres and demons? Do demons seek them out and rouse them? Do they clash often? Uh, I would guess they're probably not terribly fond of one another, um, but they don't seem to encounter each other terribly often. Okay, so um, demons are walking corruption. Um, they are a walking perversion of everything that is the material realm. And we have more than one example in the lore where dragon ogres are expressly stating and they're fierce, they're fiercely independent um, that they have no interest at all on, on working with or directly dealing with demons. So there's um, a, a suggestion there that not only do they not like them, but there's a reason they don't like them. And the reason is probably the most obvious reason. They can corrupt, which does suggest that dragon ogres can corrupt in one fashion or another. And one of the reasons for their fierce independence is to ensure that that does not happen to them any further. What remains of their souls, they are keen to keep hold of. That being the case, I do not think that they are be particularly impressed with them. Indeed, they may have hard-coded into their little letter with their little deal with the chaos gods. Yeah, demons you will up. not yeah. ever work alongside them. Yeah, um, it wouldn't surprise me because that would be a source of corruption, and uh, that would work. It's a simplistic way of viewing it, but it does match the rest of the lore. Yeah, I could actually see dragon ogres because being you know being immortal and all this stuff, highly valuing their minds, um, and in a sense their sanity. And not tolerating demons. Uh, I imagine they would either stay very far away from them or they would kill them if the demon continued to be an annoyance. <laughs> I don't know if a huge ant colony, says Hammond. If an ant started speaking to me, an ant, pardon me, I definitely would not squish it, but kindly ask it to move its queen to Becky's house from across the street, problem solved. And you know what? This is um, a conversation I've had multiple times here with Lindsay. That's my wife. If you haven't watched the Lawhammer games, if you have watched our Lawhammer channels, Lindsay's amazing. Alan, anyway, um, uh, I'll admit a wife. Uh, uh, anyway, that aside, I can't believe I said that. Um, this is uh, something that comes up frequently, the idea that if you could communicate with all of the lesser creatures, you would. And I think the answer is probably, yes, many would, but many wouldn't. Consider how horrible many people are in the real world. Yeah. And, and if they could just take anything they wanted from others, they would. And we're dealing with a species that has a particular uh, outcome that it is seeking. The whole species that remains is seeking this outcome. And often it's the humans or whoever else it is that happens to be around our elves or dwarves that are standing against them. They have no real interest in finding out that they're potentially good guys and friends. No, they are beyond their concern. Squish the fucking ants. But yes, I would also send them over to Becky's house. We had an ant colony that popped into our house. It was the freaking worst. Yeah, and that's the thing is that you have to remember how annoying that ant is to you where you're like, even though you can talk, I want you to leave. And you send it to Becky and Becky goes, oh my God, talking ant kills it. Like you're not actually being really that benevolent. You're telling them to just move and stop being your problem. But if they did, what if he says no, them, wouldn't you? Yeah, and you're like, get the fuck out of my house, and they go, no, and you're like, well, here's some fuck out my house. No, <laughs> <laughs> seriously, yeah. boiling water all over all you little fucking ants. If you don't get that, I'm not leaving. Yeah, fuck you. Know. You won't even, you won't even go to Becky's. <laughs> yeah, just because they can talk doesn't mean that they're reasonable. Uh, let's see. Were there other? Uh, Serum to Sam, were there other mountain-sized dragon ogres back in the day? I've heard uh, shaggots, yes. Um, yeah. I, I would say they're they're pretty rare, but the ones that are that big are probably asleep until the end times on average. 
Yeah, I mean, your average sag- shag-off is going to be sleeping for at least a thousand years plus in between bouts of wakefulness, which means that as we're heading towards the end-to-end times, if you happen to be playing a fantasy role-play game just now, um, there's probably a bunch of them. And yeah, there's totally not one somewhere in the Reichland that may be about to wake up. No, absolutely not. That would be silly. <laughs> <laughs> that would be um, ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Like in the Warhammer world, it would not be that shocking that many of the um, natural beauties and wonders of the world are actually just creatures that have been asleep for ridiculous mouth periods of time. Indeed, the naming practices behind some of the larger monuments have got those thoughts behind them. I know because I obviously I built a few of them, but I've also <laughs> talked to others who have done something similar. Uh, what faction would you say Dragon Ogres truly belong with? Um, in fantasy, I am comfortable with them with the Warriors of Chaos. In yep. Age of Sigmar, I am much prefer them with the Beasts of Chaos. But that's because they've changed quite a bit. And I broadly agree. Um, I, I would also be and was happy with them as part of the Beasts of Chaos um, in Warhammer as well. Um, it's ultimately not so dissimilar. Um, you can build some good stories there. I have no issue with them being in both forces, much like Chaos Trolls would work very well in both. Yeah. Um, but I agree that um, in Age of Sigmar, it makes a hell of a lot more sense for them to be where they are. Yeah, I, I do think they provide better variety to the Beasts of Chaos than they do the Warriors, personally. Um, so, like, y- you could go with either, and I wouldn't be upset. Like, you could make an argument for both. Hmm. Um, my, um, I would say, given our earlier conversation regarding Age of Sigmar, where they said my bigger problem would be that they had an entire society there, and that society has been probably reduced down to just one or two models because they're no longer uh, a faction in and of themselves. There's something that sits elsewhere. And I think for Age of Sigmar, they make a really good potential faction to be expanded out and have extra depth of lore added to. That would be really cool. Yeah. And I, I honestly would not be surprised. I Like, when they get new minis, which there are some pretty strong rumors they're going to in the near future, um, like, I'm expecting a Kraken Rock mini, but I'm also expecting, like, the Dragon Ogres will probably have, like, a multi-kit, and there will be some kind of new version of them and whatever. They, they yeah, really like doing that these days. I'll be well for that. Yeah, nice. Uh, let's see. If a Chaos Horde has a Chaos Dragon, and a, uh, we already have, uh, answered that. Yeah, they'll work together because that's their boss's job. Like, literally, a Chaos Warlord's job is to make sure his army doesn't kill itself. Um, are dragon ogres and zotes of the same genome or species? Maybe. Maybe. Um, and uh, I, I wish I'd caught that little bit inside the the Storm of Magic book because I, I, I did actually miss that one. Um, that, in some respects, actually makes it, I would say, more likely rather than less um, in that there is definitely a, a, a concurrent um, setting that most of the older, older creatures that came from before the times were a bit different, and the Zotes fit into that quite well. But the fact that they're apparently now an old one creation makes it relatively likely they were created from something, and something like the Dragon Ogres would provide a perfect template. Yeah. yeah. I'm still annoyed with myself that I missed yeah. that one, because well, they, it's been a... Yeah, the yeah. only thing they really give us about it that they talk about a lot is that there's 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 extreme connection between them and the Slon. Like it's it literally says the Slon are the only ones that know the truth about them, and nobody else does. And of course, the Slon aren't going to tell us because the Slon. Of course, they're not because the Slon don't tell us shit. <laughs> the Slon don't tell us anything. Uh, let's see. The, the Chaos Gods got tired of the Beastmen, the Femirs. They own their souls entirely. They ever tired of the Dragon Ogres? No, we actually talked about that quite a bit, so we answered that. Mm. Is Colex smart enough to lead an army? Yes, we talked about that. He has an entire yep, religion. Definitely. Um, 
Why did the old ones decide to favor the dragon of the... What? Oh, why did the old ones favor the dragons over the dragon ogres? Um, what's interesting there is we don't actually know. Um, for whatever reason... Now, it could be the bargain was formed before the old ones arrived, uh, in which case that would obviously cause a problem. Um, but if they formed the bargain after the War of Extermination, we don't actually know why the old ones said they were not part of the plan. That's a really interesting question. Don't yeah. have an answer for you. Yep, yeah, I agree. Could be a lot in that. Um, what might have happened if it had, things had gone the other way with the old one siding with the dragon ogres against the dragons? Hmm. That's a cool what if. It is because um, there are more than one. There's more than one source that suggests that. Uh, hmm. <laughs> I'm not sure they would. I mean, if if it goes the other way, suggest they would have to be part of the great plan. Then. Um, there would have to be some involvement in there, which doesn't strike me as very likely, given just how how old, powerful, and arrogant these dragon ogres are. Yeah, you'd, um, you'd have to change some probably couple fundamental things about yeah. the dragon ogres. In um, some respects, it's a little bit like saying what it would be like if the humans had just worked with the greenskins. And the yeah. answer is... Or if the lizard had been a chaos race. like Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> and the answer is broadly, they just don't... They'd be a different species if they did. And I think that's loosely the answer. We would have to change the species to make that come to pass. Also, I'm so sorry, I forgot to... Uh, Bullhorn, Islington, Sixshot, and Scion, thank you for the questions. And Naratio, thank you. I'm sorry, I forgot to thank you all as part of it. Greenfire, are there differences between AOS Dragon Ogres and Fantasy besides the name? Yes, uh, we've talked about that. The yeah, we, uh, Dragon Ogres and AOS, substantially different. They're no longer like full-on Chaos creatures. They work mm -hmm. with Chaos. They are not subje subject to Chaos, which is actually fascinating. I'm, that completely fits the uh, version of the Dragon Ogres that Warhammer has as well. So it's definitely a development of what they were into the next step. Uh, Mike Tusky, which of the Chaos Gods favors Dragon Ogres the most? How do the Chaos Gods view all the non-human races that have aligned to them? Um, unfortunately, we I didn't don't catch that one, sorry. Uh, which of the Chaos Gods do you think likes the Dragon Ogres the most or favors them the most heavily? Um, well, obviously there is. Uh, I would say it's more... Uh, as is often the case with these things, um, ascribing the chaos gods with that sort of very anthropomorphic uh, outcome is probably a mistake. The answer would be instead flipped. Which species is most likely to find some sort of connection with one of the chaos gods? Mm. So you'd then be looking at the dragon ogres and saying, would they lean more to any one of the chaos gods? And I think the answer is no their pact is with the gods that with almost chaos undivided if you will um and they will work with whatever best fits that pact yeah there's probably like some individual dragon ogres or shagas that have leaned to one particular god but that's a personality base not yeah. a like racial base yeah it's not a racial thing i i completely agree yeah, and I think that's the case for almost the entirety of the gods. Like the gods in general don't tend to lean towards any particular species. They just don't work that way. Um, do we know of any named dragon ogre shaggots outside of Kolak and Krakenrock? Yes, we talked about good old Skoranarok. Skoranarok. Um, uh, is there even, is there a named regular dragon ogre? Uh, there ha there are some, but they're not like really big important characters. They're more like they show up in a black library book or they show up in uh, like the role play series. Um, but like they all have names. Um, but none of them show up like outside of the sources. 
Um, and um, uh, the named ones that we have also all follow a similar linguistic structure. So it's also relatively clear that the dragon ogres have got an established language of their own. Um, and that's a language that they almost all, all certainly speak beyond whatever younger tongues may be out there too. Uh, what is the difference between a Shagath and a regular Dragon Ogre? Uh, they're older. They're older and bigger. It's age. So any Dragon Ogre can become a Shagath given enough time. Yep. Um, Shitty29, how were... Uh, okay, I appreciate these questions. They're not super related and we're pretty much out of time. So forgive me, I'm going to skip them. Um, what a shame. Uh, Bifocal King, has there ever been a storm large enough to rouse all the Dragon Ogres? And End times. Yeah, the end times. That's that's what the end times is. Is yep. No. Um, pretty much the the final end times is when they all wake up. Uh, Porpoise, are there any unique materials that the dragon ogres will use for their weapons and armor? I doubt they can forge, but wondering if they have a unique ore up in those mountains. That's a great fucking question. Yeah, it's a question that um uh I was thinking about this one. I'm really glad that someone brought this one up because I was thinking about it because most of the dragon ogres are armed. And they yep. are caparisoned for war in a variety of different armors. They have arms and armor, generally. Where speaking. did it come from? Um, exactly how did this come to pass? Um, we don't have any descriptions of dragon ogres handily sitting there at a forge, making themselves some sort of weapons, yet they are all, take a look at most of the dragon ogre models, they're all carrying something. Yeah, they're, they're very all, well something. armed. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, so you're either going with when they're part of a chaos horde, they're just picking up whatever else that are given to them. Perhaps some chaos dwarves happily make them something relatively useful to carry, um, or alternatively, they're somehow stealing, picking up themselves. The uh, earliest descriptions of them um, don't really make any mention towards arms. It's just themselves clawing at each other um, to be marked out and then going out into the world and then often surviving for decades doing things before they kicked back. But to a degree, that's sort of been overwritten and not overwritten by other parts. So I think the answer would be they probably don't do it themselves. Others do it for them, and they're arrogant enough to make others do whatever they want. So I think that's probably your best route. Yeah, Servant of Sin brings up a, a cool comment that in Age of Sigmar, they do delve a little bit into that, and it says that the Dragon Ogres forge their, their arms and armor from... They're either their own scales or from like uh, creatures of their species that have died or something of that line. Um, yeah, and I think that um, to answer that for Warhammer, it really requires more description in the lore for it. As it currently stands, we don't have it. Age of Sigmar is a different version of them, arguably, yeah, a far more wakeful one, most likely, perhaps a less dream dreamy version of them. But um, we don't really have an answer for that yet. I think it's probably the best answer. Yeah, and you have to remember, by the time we know the Dragon Ogres in fantasy, they're already almost extinct. So if they had a civilization where they forged and they did all that stuff, it was thousands of fucking years ago, and we just don't yeah. know anything about it. Um, maybe they made their own. Like, some of them have some weapons that are fucking gigantic, so somebody made them. Um, but yeah, we don't know. Yeah. Good question. Uh, yeah, good let's see. Uh, Avi Pixtream, has the, has there ever been a powerful relationship between beastmen and dragon ogres? Yes, uh, that you could. They sometimes would work together. I don't think that's odd. Um, yep. Granted, dragon ogres tend to be more heavily associated with like mountains, and beastmen yep. tend to be more far more heavily associated with the forests. So there's yep. not a ton of overlap in like the more modern stuff, but there is certainly some overlap. Um, that yep. being said, I can't recall. A particular story off the top of my head where like the two of them are like 
that, um, but I would not. I would say it could absolutely have happened. I mean, they're often depicted um, as being in the same area, but yes, I agree. Uh, Maharaj, uh, Maharaja of Inn. Do female dragon ogres exist, or are they all dead with the last one being Skoranarok? Uh, and if so, do you think this is why Kolek hates all the gods for some reason, or is it a long list of one? <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. Uh, didn't I didn't catch the first half of that question, so... Uh, so the first half was... Uh, the first half was, do female dragon ogres exist, or are they all dead, with the last one being yeah. Skoranarok? Um, I mean possibly we don't have a proper answer there we do know that um regardless of the fact that lore mentions repeatedly that they're probably sterile um that there are younger ones so they kind of can't be unless you're going to start playing with some magic that suggests they just appear out of time or some nonsense like that think, um I so it's probably that, like maybe they come from eggs and all the eggs of the ones that we have were already produced and they're yeah, any clutches of eggs that are birthing new ones i could live with that that would work quite well in fact i think that'd make a really good story i quite like that as an idea um i i think that the answer for that is we don't know and um skaranarak would make sense as a female one possibly and possibly cool. only two of them were a breeding pair maybe there was literally just one breeding pair and all the rest of them are like oh honey. man i gotta say if that was true if sigmar did kill her that would make that hatred so much deeper and more interesting it really would killed, wouldn't it and i think that would also make female. a really cool story I mean, we've yeah. got lots of species that work from um, uh, a very, I mean, effectively, that would make all the dragon ogres drones. And I think yeah. that works. Yeah, would actually well would too. be very interesting. Yeah, um, it would. Uh, let's see. That's not really, so we're going to skip. Um, Islington, we know the dragon ogres are an original race. Could they be at all responsible for the cataclysm? Andy touched on that quite a bit. Maybe. There's some definitely potential yeah. there. And uh, I think there's a potentially really cool story there. Yeah, Badger, are there any Dragon Ogres not associated with Chaos? No, not that are alive. Maybe maybe no. way back, but not that not anymore. Yep. Uh, Lopi, can Dragon Ogres use magic? We already talked about it. Uh, it Almost seems totally. very likely Shaggots can, uh, but in the battle game, they didn't. Um, Doompig, is Balthazar Gelt Andy's favorite Dragon Ogre? Moving on. All is dust. Fuck that guy. <laughs> All is dust. <laughs> um... Okay, all is dust. A uh, bit of a lengthy comment here. I don't understand the deal. They were being killed by the Lizardmen and or dragons, so they make a deal for immortality that makes them immortal unless they are killed. Wouldn't it make more sense for them to just become demons so they could become immortal and when killed in battle return to the realm of chaos? Okay, so becoming a demon is if you are a wise, clever, long-living creature you real you can very quickly realize that is a much shittier deal than it appears to be um becoming a demon prince is something that humans really like because we live for such a short period of time and many humans are very heavily motivated by power um but i think for a race that like if dragon ogres lived for hundreds maybe thousands of years that's still nothing compared to true immortality um, and becoming a demon, I, I don't know if Andy, if you want to spend just a moment kind of talking about it, but becoming a demon can fucking suck. Okay, right. So first, it's an entirely different form of existence and an entirely different realm of existence. It's a realm that is not material. It is a realm that is conceptual, a realm of emotion, a realm that to exist within it involves a certainty of purpose and singularity of emotion that you would lose any concept really of a self. You would become almost like a, a single thought. 
you would become an expression of one single thing, rage, for example, or perhaps indulgence, or perhaps, indeed, you can even see how the chaos gods came about. And all the small expressions of that, the smaller ones, all of the demons are not thinking creatures as we understand them. But when they come to the material realm, they change. And they become something different and arguably can become something thinking in a way that they couldn't back in their natural place. To a dragon ogre, something that is clearly deep of thought, something that is clearly a material creature, not an immaterial one, it would be like cashing in an eternity of life that's yawning ahead of it for a complete constriction of thought. If you want to imagine what it's a little bit like, imagine like photocopying yourself. Mm. Um, a photocopy of yourself slapped over into the aether is not you. Um, you can't have no material form anymore. So most of you and what you exist as you is gone. All of your material drives have gone. You are now a digital creation, a facsimile of what you want to Yeah, um, and it's not for a dragon ogre. That's just not any life. Now, perhaps a desperate one might choose that. Perhaps a truly desperate one might, but they came up with a different deal. And that deal and exactly what it involved is uncertain, but we do know that they chose to ally themselves with chaos because it was a better outcome than proper extinction. Um, Yeah. yeah, So, and it's a toughie. Yeah, there is something to be said for the type of immortality they have, you have to keep in mind, is almost the best possible kind if your goal is to be immortal. They cannot die of disease. They cannot die of natural causes. They cannot die of accidents. Like, they have to die in battle specifically. It seems very likely that a... like And Age of Sigmar kind of takes this to an extreme. The world exploded and Krakenrock was fine. He went hurtling through the vacuum of outer space, which in Age of Sigmar is even played up to be way fucking scarier than our outer space because there are Uh, things out there. And he was totally fine because it wasn't battle. And I I think they deliberately played on that. Um, Granted, the deal was probably over by that point. But still, like the the concept stands of that. uh, For the Dragon Ogres, the, the idea of I can only die if someone kills me means somebody has to earn it. And again, I would also add that there's the possibility that the deal has literally nothing to do with their immortality. Yeah, it could have. Their immortality could have been a species inherited trait anyway. Just take a look at what um, the dragon ogres are described as. There are centuries or possibly millennia long sleeps. And that was what they were probably beforehand anyway. So I, I wouldn't focus too much on the immortality and what they got and perhaps look at the fact that they continued on somehow. I think there's definitely something there, but we don't have a really good answer for it. Uh, so, Katie Ma, I just want to answer that that in the end times, the world got it got covered in a big chaos portal. Like, it all got consumed by chaos, and then it all <laughs> went swoop, and then it all went kaboom. Uh, but it went kaboom because that, that's how the mortal realms formed after all out of the... It went a bit big bang. Um, any event, uh the last question uh yes because we already answered that one last question is from hawk oddly with dragon ogres being in the beast of chaos army list in age of sigmar do you think they will stay there for the old world with maybe being able to be picked up by other chaos armies as well potentially um so i will say i think it is very likely the old world is going to use the ally system from age of sigmar and the ally system age of sigmar is very very fucking good um, it is a solid system that allows you to very, very easily mix and match your armies as long as they're in the same general ballpark. 
So in that case, I think the answer is probably yes. Yeah, I think that's almost certainly the answer. Um, it's very likely that Age of Sigmar's model of creating lots of smaller factions and allowing you to fuck around with them whichever way you want is going to be the outcome for um, the old world as well. We'll see. It may not end up being like that. They may yeah. go for big, huge, swathy armies. But it wouldn't surprise me if lots like of smaller factions were playing Kimri is a faction instead of just Tomb Kings. Like a part of me thinks that the Empire is going to be four factions where it's going to be like Marienburg, Reichland, yeah. Minland, and Telebeckland. Um, that seems very likely to me. Maybe not, yeah. but I mean, I think a lot of people would like it. I know I would. Uh, I'd be very happy. I'd be buying all those because I'm an idiot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the only the, the only one that the only ones they haven't kind of announced that for is like Bretonia. Uh, but mm -hmm. we haven't really seen what they're doing yet. They're still they still have a lot of cards close to the chest for the old world. They really do. Um, I was looking at um, what's been released so far for it, and given how long it's been teased on the market, it is surprisingly little. Yeah, it, it it's been released so slow that like there's a part of me that thinks they've been drip feeding announcements and seeing how the community reacts and making little pivots. Um, but yeah. we'll have to see. Um, because yeah, we'll I. See. I yeah, I already think that the version they initially announced like two or three years ago is not the version they have now. Um, I, I yeah, feel like I agree. Um, I mean, even, even if you look at the stuff that I'm interested in, maps for partic uh, in particular, the map that they originally announced is completely different to the maps that we started seeing later. Entire details have been completely changed as they've taken inspiration from other sources. Um, and that, for me, has been fascinating because I can see where each one came from. I, I have drawn more Warhammer maps in my time than I care to admit more than a hundred at least um and all of these maps um drew their inspiration from different sources it's really interesting to see which ones games workshop have chosen to draw for their most current version of the old world yeah that's some very old sources that some people might be surprised by so it's been quite fun that that map is so fucking interesting it makes me so upset they haven't released a high-res version yet um, every version they release is super like it's it's so big that the pictures they use you can't fucking see any of the details, which I'm pretty sure they're doing that on purpose. Um, but also seems to be the entire planet, which is kind of shocking. Like so far, they've only shown mostly the old world, but then they showed Cathay, and they were like, "Oh yeah, we already yep. did all Cathay," and you're like, "What?" <laughs> yep, love that. Uh, anyway, um, so that is pretty much it, unless there's like some it's last second questions in the chat. But uh, we actually made it the whole time, which is surprising me and andy did not indeed that was gonna happen <laughs> before this stream started we were um half convinced we wouldn't have enough to talk about because there's only a few pages of actual proper lore um about the dragon ogres we, but a couple we, of cards on top of that some, we can a few extra stories it's surprising just how much you can discuss um i would like to say thanks for everyone who turned up and i would also like to say if you haven't subscribed to this channel freaking subscribe already please um that's what we're here for and make sure you like and press all those buttons and just generally say thanks because we sit here chatting away because we love it but we also like it if you click those buttons because yeah click the like button going uh yeah and once we get to 5k subs uh of course the good old quick video the the quick movie uh it's gonna be at least two hours uh i've started timing some things out it's gonna be super fucking long um but uh also make sure you follow lawheimer over on twitch uh yes and uh you can join their Discord uh, to keep up with things that are going on, as well as Rookery Publications. I guess gore. <laughs> gore. 
gore hack? Really? That's the best you can. I mean, Warhammer loves Where's your, where's your naming face, hat? I know you have a naming hat. <laughs> I've seen the shit you've write. Thanks, Simon. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, um, so yes, yeah, so guess... make sure you pop over to um, if you're looking for the Doom Pig. Video. Thank you so much for subscribing over on Twitch, yeah. by the way. So, oh, oh yes, thank you very much. Super appreciated. Um, uh, if you're looking for the quick video, make sure it's the Lawhammer YouTube channel that you pop over on. So if you're currently sitting on Twitch just now having a little chat and watching, file over to the Lawhammer channel over on YouTube um, and click that subscribe button because who doesn't want all that quickie goodness? It will be awesome. Okay, uh, and then just the last little things of Shagath versus a Dread Saurian. Depends on the Shagath. Uh, that's that's literally a clash of titans like that's that's just godzilla versus king kong except for they're both reptiles uh, <laughs> uh or mostly reptile. um and then uh what are the little creatures that appear on the backs of shaggots do shaggots have creatures on them i don't remember drawing it painting any i know that the i know that a lot of us thought there was a new mini coming out that was a shaggot but it turned out to be a new tr troll uh, the new, the new, uh, the, the, like the Troll King and Kragnos and all that. The Shagath model does. Dragon Ogre Shagath Mini. Oh, it does. I think. Yeah, it's got little, like, what the? I don't remember those existing. Neither do I. It's why I'm also looking for it right now. <laughs> it's got, like, little creatures on its back. Oh yeah, look at that! I think that's just to try and give you a suggestion of um, scale that they're just human worshippers up there. Yeah, and if they that's look, the case. They then look seriously, like this model should be a hell of a lot bigger. Yeah, I because that's appropriate. I mean, if, if you actually look at it, that's a good Shagoth scale. I mean, that's all right. It's not the biggest Shagoth in the world, but that's all right. I, I'd run with that. Um, I just see that they're meant to be human scaled. Yeah, I think they're just little people. Yeah, that are like people. normal sized people. I don't even um, remember painting that. Yeah I, 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 yeah, I painted it a long time ago, but still. I totally forgot those were... I, I'm i sure I noticed at some point, but yeah. I'm, yeah, no, they've always been there, apparently. I, I'm, I'm slightly <laughs> stunned. I can't believe that. <laughs> yeah, these things happen. <laughs> um, yeah, thanks for that, because I completely missed it. Uh, is there any dragon I big enough to model. I, I'm yes, absolutely. myself. There are some big fucking dragons out there, guys. Like, Yeah, there is. There's, uh, yeah, we've got um, Kalgalanos, who's presumably one of the big rivals you have Kalgalanos the black and kraken rock the black presumably they fought a lot <laughs> seems very likely pretty sure uh, they've met each other in the past yeah um and that's not even including the other quote-unquote fathers of dragons like the celestial dragon emperor or um Draugnir, um the uh, big bad of the ultawan dragons but uh anywho that's it for us today thank you yeah thanks so very much, much everyone um, that was awesome yeah, this was a lot of fun. Thanks. Bye-bye. See you later. Bye.